Wednesday, we are absolutely loaded today on the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. I'm Mike Guido. He's Evan Mazza, my producer. It's good to have you in here on a Wednesday. Absolutely packed. I think it's going to be one of our best shows we've ever done. It's going to be a crazy show today. Uh, winners and losers of week eight coming up top of hour number two at noon. Uh, Astros lost <laughs> game six at home. This is the first time this has ever happened. The closest we've ever gotten through five games with the road team winning every single game. First time in Major League history that the road team has won through the first six games. We go through game seven tonight. Max Scherzer, Zach Greinke. That should be great. Uh, is he worth it at the end of the show today? But I do want to begin with this. Again, absolutely loaded today. I've made the argument before that being aggressive is the way you succeed in any business. You never get a job sitting on your hands. You have to knock on the boss's office door and convince him you're the guy and then do it again next week. That's how you do this. Go get the things you want and need. Now that that doesn't mean put a blindfold on and throw darts in a dark room. When the opportunity presents itself or the opportunity comes where you can create one for yourself, I advise you more often than not to go for it. With that being said, I'm very disappointed in what we saw yesterday. Or, I guess more appropriately speaking, what we didn't see. The NFL trade deadline uh, was yesterday and we saw virtually nothing. The biggest trade of the day was a salary dump from the Rams. Aqib Tlaib is now a Dolphin. Whoopee. It it isn't like the rumors weren't out there. Teddy Bridgewater, Jamal Adams, A.J. Green, O.J. Howard. the, The players were there. Whether they were being actively shopped or not, make it happen. Okay, the Cowboys reportedly sent a real solid offer to the Jets for Jamal Adams, and the Jets wanted more. I'm okay with the Jets wanting more. That's not the problem I have. But if I'm the Cowboys, I have to evaluate whether or not my draft picks are more valuable than the player I'm getting. And I understand that there's a lot of factors. But if it's a first and a second round pick, do it. Why are you holding back? So what if you overpay a little? You're trying to win a Super Bowl in a loaded NFC with a ton of great offenses, and you just got Jamal Adams, who's one of the best young safeties in the NFL. You've got to judge whether it is worth it or not. And more often than not, even if you do overpay a little, it is. Successful teams make the aggressive moves when they have to. They spend the money even if it is a little too much, okay? They made it happen. Okay, we see it everywhere in sports. Everywhere. There are examples throughout sports. The Warriors signed Kevin Durant to mega money, and they won two titles with him. 
Okay, the Chicago Cubs, when they won the World Series, gave up Glaber Torres to get Araldis Chapman. And they broke a hundred-year drought and won the World Series. We're seeing it in the World Series now. Both of these teams got aggressive. The Nationals and the Astros are both aggressive. And people are going to tell me, Mike, that's not true. What did the Nationals do that was aggressive? Give me a break. A lot, actually. Think about it. They gave Patrick Corbin $140 million. They signed Max Scherzer to super money when he was a free agent. They traded a top pitching prospect for Sean Doolittle. That kid, Jesus Lazardo, who's killing it in Oakland right now. Yeah, he was a national first. Oh, and do we not remember that they traded Lucas Giolito, who at the time was the number one pitching prospect in baseball, Ronaldo Lopez, who was another really good pitching prospect, top 30 prospect in the league, and Dane Dunning, who was a kid they just drafted, who's like 6'8 and throws 100 miles an hour, they traded all three of those guys for Adam Eaton. For Adam Eaton. And when people looked at that trade, they were just like, oh my God, the Nationals gave up all of that for Adam Eaton of all guys? Yeah, they overpaid. It still worked. It's still the case. The Nationals still overpaid for Adam Eaton. But they're a game away from the World Series. Don't tell me they weren't aggressive. And don't even tell me about Houston. Traded for Verlander. Traded for Garrett Cole. Traded for Granke. Traded for Osuna. Signed Michael Brantley. They did a ton, too. Sometimes you have to be aggressive to get where you want to go. I'm really disappointed that more teams didn't make the last push to improve the deadline. Because those are the moves that make the difference. The opportunities from what I saw were there. But teams got stingy and wanted to hold on to the assets. And sometimes that's okay. But you realize that when you're in a playoff push, you do have to make that extra move. And I know a lot of moves were made before the deadline. But when the final opportunities present themselves, nobody wanted to pull the trigger. You've got to make stuff happen in this league. This is the NFL. I expected a lot more moving pieces yesterday, and we got none. Be aggressive and get where you want to go. It's that simple. You have to go get things in life. Knock on the boss's door and don't take no for an answer. Be a pest. For any young people that are applying for jobs... Okay, if you send in your resume once, wait six months, and then follow up, you're not being aggressive. He hired somebody five months ago. Send in your resume. Talk to the boss. Go there in person. Call next week. Be annoying. Be aggressive. That's how you get things. The NFL, teams in the NFL, do we not see how good the Patriots are? Do we not see how good the San Francisco 49ers are? And those teams could have made moves and they didn't. And think about teams in the NFC, right? Dallas, Green Bay. There's not one tiny little thing that could have made that big difference for you. It didn't have to be crazy explosive. You could have given up a third round pick for a number two receiver. 
and it would have made your team that much better. But nobody did. Nobody did. But you want to be be aggressive. That's how you win. That's how you win in sports. And we see it over and over and over again. We do. The Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes when they were winning games with Alex Smith. You don't think that's aggressive? I mean, they get, the Saints just gave up a third-round pick for Teddy Bridgewater. And they went 5-0 and with him when Drew Brees got hurt. Aggressiveness, guys. The Rams got Todd Gurley. All those receivers, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, they got Andrew Whitworth, Dante Fowler, Akib Tlaib and Marcus Peters, Eric Weddle. I mean, all of these, they got to a Super Bowl, and they're continuing to try to make those moves. They just traded for Jalen Ramsey, and I hated the trade, but it was aggressive. You've got to get daring in this league. Okay, think about last year, too. I, I'm, I, I'm ripping the Cowboys today for not making that final push to get Jamal Adams. And I don't know what the offer was. I don't know what the asking price was. Uh, apparently, it was through the roof. The Jets' asking price, I'm reading off Yahoo Sports, their asking price was a first-round pick, two second-round picks, and potentially more. Potentially more. So again, the Jets were That's never. Fine. The Jets were never good. Now the Cowboys' offer was one first round pick, and the Jets are like, no, we want more for Jamal. I heard the Cowboys. I heard the Cowboys' offer was a first round pick, pick and a third round pick. First and a third. That's that's what I heard. Right. But that's what, I, like I said before, if it's a first and a second or maybe two seconds, do it. It's not like your roster has too many holes. Well, the potentially the potentially more thing was interesting. So how much were the Jets really asking well, for Jamal? You're right. Adams? We don't we don't know exactly what was going on. My point is is that. Look at what the Cowboys did last year. Okay, when, when the Cowboys traded a first-round pick for Amari Cooper, everybody called them crazy. They went 7-2 and two after they got him. And now he's a top-10 receiver in the NFL. You've got to make these moves. You've got to get aggressive to get what you want in the league. That's how you win. Okay, let me, uh, let me shift to something that's a little bit more touchy. So the NCAA, they started the process of allowing college athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness. California was the first state to implement it after Governor Gavin Newsom signed the bill recently. Uh, he signed it on LeBron's, uh, well, I think it's BR Live show, The Shop. Uh, did it on camera. It was a big, dramatic thing. Now, on the surface, this all sounds great. Finally, athletes can take advantage of the opportunities they've created for themselves through their athletic talent. They can sign endorsement deals and get part-time jobs and all of that other stuff. It sounds fantastic. I, I, I am amazed. It's great. First, let me tell you what I'm grateful for so far. I'm glad that the schools are not directly paying the athletes. That would have opened up a really dangerous door where certain schools have the advantage over others and eliminating the merit and purpose of scholarships and all that. It would have been a really dangerous door to open. I'm also grateful for the fact that the NCAA is not getting involved with the athletes financially. 
they uh, the the NCAA, the organization, is not getting involved with the athletes. Again, same deal. Some schools have an increased advantage over others based on how much they're televised and all of this stuff with the TV and everything. It would have been a really big jumbled mess. It would have involved a lot of lawyers, and it would have been a mess. Now, let me tell you why I have an issue with this. Just like anything else, money sways people into certain decisions. People kill other people if the money is good enough. Do we not think that this creates an incredible advantage in recruiting for bigger brands? This is what this is all about. Okay, we can say all we want about how the NCAA as a whole are just greedy money mongers. They're crazy, uh, corrupt, and all of this garbage. But that's never what it's been about. And it's naive to think otherwise. It really is. It's childish to think otherwise. This has always been about quality of product. The NCAA doesn't want the big brands to be the only ones that compete. They already have that problem. They want them to be good, but having the same three or four schools in it every single year already hurts their business. This doesn't help. If a top basketball recruit, for example, in high school, he has three options to, to, to choose from, three options of what school he wants to go to. Let's just say, you know, what program does he want to play for? Let's say it's between Duke, Michigan State, and Arizona. All pretty big programs, but Duke is the clear-cut biggest program out there. Duke has twice the advantage they had before. Do we understand that? Not only do they have the advantage because of coach, history, whatever, but Duke is the biggest college basketball brand in the world. That athlete is going to make more money there than anywhere else through endorsements, video games, or, or anything else. This idea creates an unfair advantage in recruiting. That's what I've always had a problem with this by. Society, you got to keep this in mind, right? Let's take the sports out of it for a second. Society as a whole doesn't like it when the rich get richer. They don't like it. They're, we're trying to prevent that. Politicians are arguing about policies that trying to keep, make it, try to keep the rich from getting richer. Because in their eyes, it hurts the middle class, it hurts the lower class, it hurts everybody else except for the rich people. Keep the rich from getting richer. This idea for the NCAA guarantees that the rich get richer. You're trying to help the athlete, but you're actually making the landscape worse. The big brands will survive, and the other schools will lose funding, lose popularity, and eventually in the future, lose particular programs. It looks great on the surface. It does. But in reality, this isn't the move the NCAA wants to make. I mean, think about it. Couldn't Nike tell an athlete, hey, we'll, we'll endorse you, but the money you'll make is much better if you go here, here, or here, and not here. You don't want to go there. You want to, 
best for your brand, and we could we'd be able to pay you more and and feed into you a little bit more if you if you chose to go here here here. You don't see a problem with that. Don't tell me that won't happen because it already does, and you pretty much made it more acceptable to do that. You did. You made it more acceptable to put money under the table. Players can make money off their likeness. Right. They can get endorsement deals, benefit off their brand, all of that stuff. Great on the surface, terrible for college sports. I don't have a problem with players benefiting from their likeness as a college athlete, but it has to be in certain avenues. It can't be that they can sign a Nike deal at 18 years old as an amateur athlete. There's a reason that hasn't existed, and I got news for you. It isn't because the NCAA is corrupt. They've been trying to avoid what I've been telling you for the last 10 minutes forever. Okay, here's what I'd be on board for, and I've said this before. Use that college athlete names for video games. Let them benefit off that. Have them get checks every whatever in the mail for using their name, their image, and their likeness in a video game. You bring back those, yeah, those games were awesome, right, Evan? Those, those college basketball, college football games and everything. But it was such a pain because you never, you always knew who the Alabama quarterback was, but it never said it. It was number two quarterback number or something. Number 12, number 15, number 20, yeah. Right, exactly. It, it never. In the video games. Right. They never gave you the name. They just, they gave you the number and the position he played. Throw the name in there. You want to release the next college football game, let the Clemson quarterback be Trevor Lawrence. Have the nice, long, blonde hair and everything. Let let him use his name and his likeness and let him benefit off that. That's fine. I don't care about that. That's great. Nobody gets hurt that way. Brands don't get involved. The school's not actively paying them. But they're benefiting off of their real name, image, and likeness in what I would see as a harmless way. They benefit off their name in a video game. That's great. The video game company can buy them. Yeah, can pay them. That's fine. I don't care about that. Endorsements, though? Nike, Adidas? I'm out. I'm out. There's no way that you'd be able to tell me that if Zion Williamson was a high school kid and he had to choose between Duke, Arizona, and Michigan State and he had Nike in his ear saying... Zion, it would be best for you to go to Duke, man. And then the next kid, R.J. Barrett, who was the number two recruit, R.J., it would be better if you went to Duke. Cam Reddish, better if you went to Duke. You know, if John Morant, yeah, go to Duke. Your brand's going to get bigger. The talent stacks up in a much smaller sample size. And I've told you this already. The NCAA already has that problem where the same programs are dominating for decades, for multiple years in a row. It already hurts their business. But right now I'm telling you that this new step, where the NCAA is allowing these guys to sign endorsement deals, to get part-time jobs, to use their name, image, and likeness in certain avenues that I think are real dangerous... This is what they were trying to avoid. 
Okay, this isn't a corrupt problem. This is a quality of product problem. And it's naive for people to think that this negative view we have on the world, and rightfully so, I get it, but this negative view we have on the world translates into college sports. That's fine. This isn't a corruption problem. This is a how is this going to hurt our business problem. And it's pretty clear cut. Okay. Plenty of good stuff today. I told you we are absolutely loaded today. Coming up next. So Kyrie Irving is the bipolar girlfriend of the NBA. And the Nets are already feeling it. I'll tell you what I mean. Next, it's the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're listening to the Haystack Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's good to have you back. Haystack, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Mike, Evan, uh, it's good to have you in here on a Wednesday. It's been rainy for the past couple of days. It's been miserable here on Long Island. Uh, but let's get into this. Kyrie Irving signed with the Nets this offseason. And everybody was really excited about it, understandably so. Uh, and it was kind of expected also because he wanted out of Boston and everybody was saying that it's Brooklyn, it's Brooklyn, it's Brooklyn. Now, I've always criticized Kyrie Irving for being the guy that doesn't ever really know, you know, he never really knows what he wants. He's a great player, but his emotions and his feelings towards things can be a real roller coaster, and that's no secret. He's got good days and he's got bad days. You know, he's the girlfriend that's either sweeter than banana cream pie or hates your guts for no reason. That's, that's really the deal here. And I warned the Nets that even though I liked the signing because he's phenomenal, watch out for his emotions because it isn't going to be steady. Well, Jackie McMullen, who's an incredibly well-respected reporter for ESPN, said that Kyrie's mood swings are the unspoken concern that makes Nets officials a little queasy. So here's what she said on the map. Here's what her report said. It said, when Irving lapses into these funks, he often shuts down, unwilling to communicate with the coaching staff, front office, and sometimes even his teammates, Nets team sources say one such episode occurred during Brooklyn's trip to China, leaving everyone scratching their heads as to what precipitated it. Uh, what precipitated it. There's, uh, there's hope that Durant will be able to coax his friend into a better frame of mind. This is exactly what was expected from Kyrie Irving. <laughs> he, isn't stay, he isn't straying off the trend. Kyrie's moody. He was in Cleveland. He was in Boston. And now he's moody in Brooklyn. Nobody should have expected that to change. Kyrie is going to give you 25-plus points per game, be an incredible ball handler, create shots with some of the best in the league, be your second-best player, and along the way, he'll be the bipolar girlfriend you have to deal with because you love her. That's, that's, That's what Kyrie Irving is. I love Kyrie. I'm a Cleveland fan. When he was in Cleveland, he was my favorite player. I loved Kyrie Irving. But he's moody. He's very bipolar in these aspects. Now listen to Kenny Atkinson denying the report. He sounds like the guy who's trying to explain to his parents that his girlfriend isn't crazy. She's just 
she's just like this sometimes. That is completely false, and my, and strictly speaking, of my observation and my my uh, experience with them so far, it's absolutely uh, not true. Uh, I say I'm the moody one. <laughs> I really am. I, I hate it. Like I'm, I'm cranky, and and I, I have my ups and downs. So. If there's just natural human behavior where guys are up and down, that's that's different. But from my perspective, I, I, I just give him, an, uh, you know, give Kyrie an A plus on his consistency and his and his spirit, and, and uh, uh, it's been great. Well, no, no, <laughs> no, guys, I I'm the crazy one. I, I'm the one that gets money. She's not even that bad. Trust me. Come on, you're you're way looking way too far into things. Kenny Atkinson. I think is one of the best coaches in the entire NBA. But he's one of the worst liars I've ever seen. <laughs> okay. He said the right thing to the media. But we can see right through him. We can. Think about this also. This is Kenny Atkinson's first real test of dealing with a personality. How good is he at containing Kyrie's emotions? How good is he at this? Because I'm, 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 I'm curious to see how he's actually going to handle this. But Kyrie Irving has always been the guy that can't unscramble his own head. You know, th- this is no shock to anyone. He's the young, playful dog of the NBA. You know, I want the ball. No, I want the squirrel. No, actually, I, I-, I want the bone. Wait, no, the ball. And he's running in circles in the backyard, picking up what he wants and dropping it when he wants to move on. He- you know, ball, squirrel, bone, ball, ball, ball again. He doesn't know what he wants. He's the young, playful dog. Think about Kyrie Irving's career. He wanted to be a part of the Cavs rebuild. And then LeBron came and he wanted to be with LeBron forever. And then he had enough of that and wanted to go play in Boston and be the man and play for a great coach in, in Brad Stevens. Then injuries, and he couldn't win by himself, so he wanted to help. He wanted the help from the other guys: Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward. He wanted the help from the other guys. Then he wanted to be the man again, so he signs in Brooklyn to be the man, and now he's averaging thirty-eight points per game and already making Nets executives go, "Wow, <laughs> this guy's all over the place." He went from LeBron to literal perfect situation in Boston to Brooklyn. I always I criticized Kyrie all the time for him leaving the perfect situation with the Celtics. Eastern Conference, great city, great fan base, great arena, great coach, great front office, great young teammates. He was the man. What was wrong? Historical franchise what was the problem? There was none. You couldn't poke a hole in that franchise if it was asking you to. And you couldn't do it. He goes from LeBron to Boston to Brooklyn. Good situation to phenomenal situation to, again, what I think, another good situation. Is anybody really surprised that we're hearing this? Jackie McMullen wasn't making stuff up. She's been in the business longer than most. She's reporting the obvious. And Kenny Atkinson is trying to keep this as quiet as possible. I don't blame Kenny Atkinson at all. I love Kenny Atkinson. 
He's a great, phenomenal coach. But again, he's a terrible liar. <laughs> I saw right through him. Head down. Is just, uh, you know, I would say uh, I'm the moody one. <laughs> yeah, you're the moody one. G- give me a break. But don't be surprised if this goes on further and it gets harder for Brooklyn. Because it will. They haven't dealt with this much. Not a lot of personalities go in and out of there that really don't know what they want. We'll see how the season plays out, but I don't expect this to, you know, be a be an easy fix here for Brooklyn. Uh, okay, let's go to the news. Interim Big J journalist Evan Mazza here on a We Sports Wednesday. It's a We Sports Wednesday. It's about time too. So the Dallas Cowboys at the trade deadline were asking, looking around at the New York Jets for Jamal Adams. Uh, so were the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens acquired about Jamal Adams too. Uh, Joe Douglas and his press conference today uh, last night said that quote we weren't shopping Jamal Adams we were list- we were listening to offers what do you make of that because Jamal here's the thing Joe Douglas says I'm listening I'm listening to offers I'm not shopping him but when you're going to the last minute with the Dallas Cowboys on negotiations with Jamal Adams it does kind of sound like you're you are willing to shop him and willing to deal him at the right deal. Well, because they are. Be- but that's well, not. But that's not really listening to best offers. That's more so. Yes, I was shopping him. I mean, if the right deal was well, made, I think he there, been dealt. there is a legitimate difference. I think to a team shopping a player and them actually just taking calls. I like. I think there's a real legitimate difference. But there. if you're listening to offers, though, I think, and if you're not really meaning to deal him, then you then you you hang up the phone right there. Well, if because you're actually, if you're actually, you and I, I think think differently here because I don't think it's black and white. Like I don't think it's like I I don't think it's you know it's it. Let's say you are the let's just say for example you're the Rams with Aaron Donald. Let's just throw it out there, not you know insinuating any rumors, but. Let's let's just are. use him as an example, Aaron Donald. Okay. If the Rams said we don't want to trade Aaron Donald, I think they mean that they don't want to trade Aaron Donald. But if somebody calls them about Aaron Donald and the package is just ridiculous, then yeah, they're going to entertain it. You know, if they if somebody said, "Listen, I'm going to give you five first round picks for Aaron Donald," the Rams would be like, "Uh." Uh, uh, we'll call you back in a minute. You can't tell me that, that and it goes for every player. If the, if the somebody called the Broncos for Von Miller, if somebody called the Texans for DeAndre Hopkins, if, you know, cor- take quarterbacks out of the matter, right? Because quarterbacks, I think, could be kind of immune to this. But, again, you could use examples all over the league. If the Bears got calls about Khalil Mack, I, I mean, yeah, they would listen. Uh, they're not going to say, no, Khalil Mack's not available. Uh, okay, what can you do? And then they're going to give him an offer, and maybe they don't have the – they don't even have the right price in their head. But they want to hear if they could get something ridiculous out of him. And the Jets, I'm pretty sure, were the same way with Jamal Adams. And no, they were I don't think the Jets were, were saying, we're interested in trading Jamal Adams. We're going to start and taking calls they- on him. If they're getting calls about Jamal Adams, which is uh, the Ravens and the Cowboys were both calling the Jets. The Jets were not calling teams. The, 
Teams were calling the Jets about Jamal Adams. But if you're committed to Jamal Adams, if you're committed to him as a player and as for the future of the franchise, I think you immediately tell the Ravens and the Cowboys, I hear you listen to offers. Sure, you listen to offers, but you immediately exit, you immediately exit the phone, hang up the I'm, phone and say, listen, we are not that's, trading him. But you that's can, the thing. Can, that's That could be what happened. When, I don't, but when not the, really when if the, it came down to the last minute. But I don't think it came down to the, uh, to the last minute. I think the Jets were entertaining stuff until the last minute. So... They were willing to trade Jamal Adams if they got the right offer, but I'm not even sure the Jets knew what that offer was. They're just, they're listening to hear if they, they're listening to see if they hear something just off the charts. Like if the Cowboys came to them and said, all right, Joe Douglas, we're going to give you three first round picks and a second round pick for Jamal Adams. The Jets better trade Jamal Adams for that. Without question. They better trade Jamal Adams for that. But if they're not getting those offers, if the Cowboys were saying, all right, we're going to give you a first and a third, the Jets could be like, eh, no, we're okay. We're going to keep him. I don't think the Jets were shopping him around. They, they weren't. They were listening to phone calls. Same thing with Le'Veon Bell. I think they were listening to phone calls. Le'Veon, the Jets are in a position where they need to stockpile Le, draft the picks. The Le'Veon situation sounds a little more different because that sounds like they re- – that that I wouldn't say they shopped them because well, later, Adam, on, later Adam, on it says that they were like, yeah, no, we're not we're not getting well, anything. Well, it's, it's known, right? Adam Gase didn't, didn't want to pay Le'Veon Bell, right? I understand, very. And very Joe much. Douglas comes from Philadelphia. Philadelphia doesn't pay their running backs. So – I think there was legitimate merit in that, but like I said, I think that they would have had to be blown away for Le'Veon Bell. They would have had to have been blown away for Jamal Adams. They like those guys. They're not actively shopping those guys, but they were listening, and every team in the NFL should be listening on every single player unless you have a franchise quarterback, right? If you're, like, if you're the Chiefs, you're not taking offers for Patrick Mahomes. You're keeping Patrick Mahomes. Oh, understood. Okay. Understood. But if you're like, I, but you're also keeping your other guys in your team, like like Kansas City has, like a like a. Uh, I, I understand, uh, Chris, or, or Chris, a, Chris Jones, Jones Teron Matthew, Matthew, Tyree Kill. I I get it. But my thing is, is that you uh, the Chiefs could have it in their mind. Yes, we are keeping those guys, and pretty much no matter what, we are keeping those guys. But if we get an offer that is just out of this universe, that's the other team is being irresponsible and way overpaying us, then yeah, we're going to entertain it. But if it's just a regular trade offer, click, we'll hang up the phone. It's not a big deal. It doesn't mean you're shopping. It means that you're listening for something you can't pass up. And I think that's, that's what responsible teams and responsible general managers do. The Jets handled the trade deadline yesterday as perfect as you possibly could. It was brilliant by the Jets. They had the Cowboys and the Ravens hanging off the edge of their seat, more so trying the to get more so the, the Cowboys, Cowboys more, right? Ball, I don't know what hanging off the edge was. of their seat, and they had all the reporters saying uh, uh, Jamal Adams to the Cowboys looks like it's going to happen. Uh, Jamal Adams to the Cowboys looks like it's going to happen, and I'm sitting there on the edge of my seat. I'm like, mm, give us Jamal Adams, that'd be awesome, but it didn't happen. And the Jets drew the Cowboys in as far as they possibly could. And the Cowboys said, all right, we can't go that far. And the Jets' whole plan was, we're not going to trade you Jamal Adams unless you give us something ridiculous, right? That reporter said, 
uh, a first round pick, two first, second round picks, round pick. and possibly more. First that round, possibly round, more. more. When they say possibly more, that means that isn't actually what the Jets are looking for. That's that means the Jets were looking for something that was just out of this world. And I, I agree with and that. That's right. That's Take the call. Why not? It. That's a rightful way to look at it. I agree with the Jets in that standpoint. If you're going to look for Jamal, if you're going to trade Jamal Adams, you got to trade him for a big, a big uh, Tra- uh, asset. Right. Not even that. big. Trade him for something enormous. Trade him for something that is just unrealistic. If somebody says we'll give you three first round picks for Jamal Adams, take it. Take it. But I don't care how good Jamal Adams but is. But it's clear that this team is, but it's clear this team is, in my opinion, looking to trade Jamal Adams. And Rich Samini said yesterday, don't be surprised that they will they might entertain trading him again at the at the draft. So I'm again, sure that they makes will. him available and that's shopping him. And that is saying And Jamal Adams does they, Jamal Adams does have a contract coming no, up. They're only shopping they'll to only be Adams. they'll only be shopping him. They'll only be shopping him if they're calling teams. But if teams are not calling them, guess what? They're not trading Jamal Adams. But now, to, but now teams know for a fact. The but Jets he are might. To do it. He might not be realistically available. But that's my whole point. The Jets would have to be blown away, and if they're not blown away, they're not trading him. That's 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 that. But all Jeff, right, what's Jeff? Draft's going to be interesting because now with this whole thing with Jamal Adams, I'm interested to see what the Jets will do at the draft and if it involves anything with Jamal Adams. Right. All right, what's next? So, Major League Baseball yesterday, the World Series Game 6, the Nationals, obviously, the oh, yeah. controversial call on first base. What a, yeah. what a, what a oh, sequence boy. of events that was. The controversial call on first base. Dave, they, they rule him out. Anthony Rendon comes right back and hits a home run, two-run two run shot. As the ultimate screw you. I mean, just, I mean, that was great. Just making that whole scenario moot. Just If you you look at that play, the Nationals lose out on it, and it's like that's a momentum shifter right there. And Anthony Rendon comes right in, hits a two-run homer, hits, has an amazing day. Get my, five RBIs yeah, in that game. Five of the what? Anthony Seven Rendon. RBIs? I'm in on Anthony Rendon. I used to be really, like, iffy on him. But I'm all, I'm all in on Anthony and Rendon. This is where He's this, phenomenal. This is where the segment. This is where this is going. It's actually more more or less not about the the call. We'll get to the call later on the show. But it's more First about Anthony Rendon. First of all, I do, do want to mention the call because I'm pretty sure people want me to bring this up I early. I we're going to talk about it later. I, I, I am going to talk about it a little bit later, but I'm going to preface it a little bit. That was possibly the worst call I've ever seen in a Major League Baseball game, and possibly ever in sports. That call right there. I think was worse than the no catch call on Des Bryant, and I think it was worse than the pass interference call well, in the that, NFC that title Des, game. That Des call was bad. <laughs> that, that Des call was bad, oh, and the pass bad. interference call in the NFC Championship game was bad. This call was worse. That was clear cut, without question, not even close. And the MLB created a situation that they didn't need to create. But anyway, but with Rendon and Strasburg, those two last night were fantastic. I think they earned their paydays last night. I know they got one more game tonight. And, yeah, and that's Rendon. part of where I want to bring that too. Is, Those two is their Steven Strasburg. But he was phenomenal. Anthony Rendon's going to get super paid. And again, this is what I feel about the Washington Nationals. The, the Nationals got screwed last night. Now, granted, they had the lead, but they got screwed last night. Well, that's all momentum shifting. Screwed. Play. That's all momentum shifting. Play Trey right Turner was calling out Joe Torre. He was so angry. Dave Martinez got ejected after the game. After the home run. After the home run. I mean, here my thing is, is that what did I tell you about this team? It is internal. 
It's internal. The Nationals have something, and Anthony Rendon is a big part of that. He's able to slow his heartbeat down after, because on the first pitch after that call didn't go their way, Adam Eaton popped up behind third base. And we thought, all right, it's going to eat him alive now. And then Anthony Rendon hits a blast. Hits a blast. I mean, that's the, that is the way that you get that stuff done. That is a tremendous how you handle situation. And again, I was watching the game with my father last night, and he's like, well, how's that for the ultimate screw you? Him and I were in total agreement. He's just like, yeah, you can't, you can't possibly make that call and think that it's right. And Anthony Rendon fixed it with one swing. I was amazed. Great, it, great moment. It made it made that play. It made that play moot. It doesn't like. It's not saying it doesn't matter because I'm sure it's going to be talked about and a lot. And it resonated in the dugout. But it's not going to be a big fact in the World Series now. Well, yeah. I mean, think about that. And the, uh, they had every right to be pissed. Of course they did. Because Absolutely. instead of second and third, no outs, they had a runner on first with one out. I mean, that's. Uh, are you kidding? No, the Nationals will still be talked about, and it's still going to be talked about all off season. But it's going to be talked about not gonna, all but the time. But it's not going to be like the Saints and the Rams call because the Rams ended up winning. Yeah. The Nationals came back. Rendon hit the two-run homer that made that situation move and got them a 6-3 lead, and they never looked back from there. A 5-2 uh, lead, and they never looked back from there. Yeah. And they ended up winning the game and forcing a Game 7 tonight. Yeah, right. No, you're right. It will kind of have a different effect because the Nationals won the game anyway. Of course. It, it does have a different effect. You're right. Uh, all right. Finally... Max Scherzer, uh, speaking of Game 7 tonight, Max Scherzer uh, worked out on the outfield yesterday, said he's good to go for tonight. And with the Nationals I winning, really hope Scherzer's so. pitching tonight and against Zach Greinke in a winner-take-all. I really hope so. I like the Nats tonight, Evan. I like the Nats tonight. If Max Scherzer is Max Scherzer, I, I am... That's the thing, how healthy I'm is I'm in. The, Na- the Nationals, the, even though I will say, the last couple of starts for Zach Greinke in the postseason have been great. He's put together two really good starts in a row. Yeah. But, um, again, I, I, I'm very um, – This truly I, is a I'm, coin toss I'm game. so in on the Nationals right now. I'm so in. Even when they were down 3-2, I told you, the Nats are not dead in this series. They're not well, they're because big, they're the underdog again. They have too much magic running around with them, running around them right now to, yeah. to say they're done, to say they're out after three games. By the way, I, I also kind of want to bring this up. I'm going to bring this up again later, but either way, baseball wins. Either way. If the Nationals win, the story is incredible, right? The underdog, the team that doesn't ever have success finally succeeds. You know, in their first World Series since 1933, you know, the this is a team that, you know, they finished the streak of every team, uh, every road team winning their uh, winning their game in consecutive. It's never happened before in Major League history. Yeah. The story is great if the Nationals win. If the Astros win, the story was great for six games. They already set the MLB record. And Houston gets to win their final. Houston wins the World Series at home in Game Seven. Second title in three years. Yeah, They're I mean, not, you can talk. You baseball say. wins either way. Now I'm 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 in on the Nationals because I think the Nationals get it done because there's something different about them. But the Astros have a lot of talent, so you never know what's going to happen. Game Seven tonight is going to be incredible. Anything goes in Game Seven. And yeah, if the Nationals win. Yeah. First title, first title since '33 for a, for a Washington D.C. team. 
first title in Expo's Nationals history. Uh, first title in this, so it's, a, it's like a culmination of a journey for the Nationals that started in 2012. Oh, yeah. It's just this culmination of a journey in this magical run. And for the Astros, if they win, all of a sudden we're talking the D word, Dynasty. Two, two titles in three years. Well, it's getting, to, of, that, it's getting to that point. Of, it's you know, getting to that point where we can consider this a dynasty. If they win tonight. If they there's win a, tonight. There's so no, much right. legacy and writing on tonight right. for both these teams. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. All right. That's the news. Big J journalist, interim Big J journalist, Evan Mazza here on, oh, a, on a Wednesday. No, no, no. You said, you said, you said, on a Wii Sports Wednesday, you, I'll you, say. You said Big J journalist. You did not say interim there. Yeah. I heard you. I thought we had a great first hour. That was a great first hour. Way to kick off the show. Listen, any Wii Sports, any Wii Sports segment is a great segment. Well, yeah, it's, okay. that's any, true. But any, I'm not just talking about segment. Right. I was just brilliant for the first hour of the show. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're I was just brilliant. You're not wearing your shirt today. You can't, you, can't be have, you can't be all ego and sassy and all that stuff. I can't be all ego and <laughs> sassy without my untucked shirts. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good to have you in on Wednesday. Coming up next, hour number two. I give you, I do it every Wednesday. Winners and losers of week eight. We'll get into that next. It's the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents the, 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 the Haystack Show with Mike Guido. Hour two. It's a Wednesday. Absolutely loaded. Good to have you back. Haystack, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Mike Guido, Evan Mazza, my producer. Hour number two, we had a great first hour. If you didn't get to listen to it, go back and listen to it because Evan had a great news segment for once in his life. And Oh, compliment. Boy, oh, boy, let me just say this. I was just brilliant. I said some things that were just, I mean, my God, I am just so smart. I am just What shirt are you incredible. wearing today? What shirt are you wearing today? I'm just wearing a... You know what? These are Arctic Cool shirts. These are fantastic shirts as well. They really are. No, no. Very comfortable, and they keep your body cool. You don't really sweat too much in these. No untucked shirt, man. No oh, so I'm not allowed to be sassy because I'm not wearing my untucket? Listen, that's your... Listen, that you've, you've officially made that your brand, I guess, right? <laughs> right? I mean... Yeah, my fiance think I, thinks I have a problem. I got another one yesterday. <laughs> I got another one. Yeah, I'll wear it tomorrow. I'll wear it tomorrow for Monica. And I promise you, she'll hate this one. She will hate my next shirt. Is it striped blue? Jacket? No, it's actually, it actually isn't like a, it's actually just like a regular long sleeve shirt that they make also. <gasps> Evan, it's great. <gasps> it's great. Gasp. Gasp. It's fantastic. All right. Uh, do it every Wednesday after every week in the NFL. My winners and losers of week eight. Evan, here we go. All right. My first winner is the San Francisco 49ers. You blow out, you absolutely blow out the Carolina Panthers. You give Kyle Allen his first rough time. And I got news for you. This San Francisco 49er team is impressing me in ways that I didn't think they would impress me. Defensively, I think they'd struggle, but right now it looks like they've got the best front six, front seven in the entire NFL. They're making their offensive personnel work. This is a really good football team. Kyle Shanahan, I think, is right now clearly the coach of the year in the NFL. The San Francisco 49ers uh, very well could be the best team in the NFL. Had them third in my power rankings, but they could be as as high as one and clearly could be one. San Francisco's my first winner. My first loser. Uh, You're going to see a trend with my losers. 
My first loser is Mitch Trubisky. I, I mean, he is week by week by week. He is just we're losing confidence in him. He really, I think the Bears are getting to a point where they're losing confidence in Trubisky. I think they realize they might have whipped on, uh, whiffed on him. He would be, again, what I see out of Mitch Trubisky this year, and I, again, I thought he would grow more week by week. Usually, this is his third year as a starter. I want to see him, you know, start developing, and he just isn't. The arm talent's not there. He's not incredibly accurate. You know, he was really accurate in college. He's not really accurate in the NFL. He's a good athlete, but that's really all he is. I, I, I'm losing faith in Mitch Trubisky, and I think so with the Bears. He's my first loser. Uh, my second winner, the Philadelphia Eagles. They needed a bounce-back win. Needed a bounce-back win. After getting embarrassed by Dallas on the road, they go at Buffalo, tough place to play, bad weather, 40-mile-an-hour wind gusts, and they pull out a 31-13 win over a dominant defense. The Buffalo Bills have one of the two or three best defenses in the NFL, and Carson Wentz torched them, absolutely torched them. They ran the ball well. Their defense played well. Carson Wentz was efficient. I mean... The Eagles looked really good. They're getting Deshaun Jackson back next week. I mean, Philadelphia is keeping themselves in the conversation. It's good. It's an uphill battle for them right now. But Philadelphia is keeping themselves in the conversation right now. They desperately needed this win at Buffalo because if they didn't get this win, I thought their season would have been over. Getting this win. Now they're 4-4. Four and four. They're sitting pretty at 4-4. Four and four. Philadelphia is my second winner. Second loser. Poor kid, Sam Darnold. I, I, I mean, he's had such a rough time the past th- the past two weeks. The past two weeks, home against New England and at Jacksonville, both came out of a loss. They, they've gotten outscored, let me calculate this, 62 to 15 in the past two weeks. And Sam Darnold has thrown two touchdowns and seven picks in the last two, in the last two weeks. He's had a rough go of it, a rough go of it, and it, completing just over 50% of his passes, I, I, at least for the last two weeks, his completion percentage dropped to 61.5% on the year. I still like him. I still think he's going to be fine. I see a lot of things I like from Sam Darnold, but the thing he's got to get out of, and he was like this way, he was like this in college, sometimes he tries to make the play even though it doesn't exist. He... Sometimes the move is just to throw the ball away. And uh, to anybody's credit, it took Aaron Rodgers 10 years to figure that out. So it might take Sam Darnold a while, but I, I, he's and he's not really surrounded by a lot either. I'm not huge on Adam Gase as I, uh, you know, I, I really am not. I think that Adam Gase, I gave Adam Gase a little bit too much credit. They don't have a lot of talent. That offensive line's terrible. Le'Veon Bell is only averaging three yards a carry. It's Right now, it doesn't look great for Sam Darnold. He's my second loser. Poor kid. I, I love the guy, too. But he's having a tough go of it. All right. Um, my third winner, the New Orleans Saints. They just keep getting better and better and better. Okay, they get Drew Brees back. They're at home against Arizona, and they give him the business. Arizona has been playing good football. And the Saints show him who's boss. That's really how this game looked to me. Drew Brees stepped in, didn't miss a step, 
79% completion percentage, threw for 373 yards, three touchdowns, he threw an interception, but Drew Brees is making this New Orleans team look like the best team in the NFC. They've got pass rushers, they've got corners. I mean, this is legit. This is a legitimate NFL team. New Orleans is the team that I'm most scared of right now in the NFC. Great quarterback, great coach, great offensive line. They're winning without Alvin Kamara right now. Uh, the Saints right now are my third winner. Uh, okay, third loser. The guy who just lost his job yesterday, Andy Dalton. Poor guy. Seriously, I, he ranks fourth in the league in passing yards, and he's already losing his job. Everybody wants to move on from him. They're 0-8. They're not any good. They don't have any talent on virtually either side of the ball. Joe Mixon is not a bad running back, but he's not the star we expected him to be. Wide receiver, they're banged up. That's really their most skilled position. Offensive line is bad. Defense at all three levels is bad. I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals are really, really awful. They really are. And Andy Dalton, unfortunately, I think is a victim of that. I don't think he's a bad quarterback. But from now on, I think he's going to end up being a backup for the remainder of his career. The Bengals are starting Ryan Finley next week. Uh, we'll see how that pans out. But Andy Dalton losing his job, taking another loss on the road against the Rams uh, in London. It's just, yeah, not good. And this Cincinnati, the Andy uh, Andy Dalton, my third loser. The start. The Bengals are starting Ryan Finley, their rookie quarterback, against the Ravens, and the Ravens' batting average against rookie quarterbacks is, is sensational. All right. Fourth, uh, fourth winner. I'll tell you what, man. Now, the Oakland Raiders, to me, are winners this week. And I know they lost. They lost to Houston. They went into Houston, lost by three. Uh, listen, you don't have to win games to be a winner. I think the Raiders are showing up this year. I do. They're, I think they're a solid NFL team this year. They're three and four. They're in every game. They very rarely get blown out. Derek Carr, I think, is proving that he's a he's a legitimate starting quarterback in this league. I mean, the guy's got 11 touchdowns, four picks this year. He's not playing bad football. And let's not say that he's great at receiver, because he isn't. Tyrell Williams is a number one. He's a number two on virtually any other team. So, hey, Josh Jacobs, really nice running back. And again, we thought early on in the year they were going to be this dysfunctional mess. And in reality... They're not. They're actually pretty stable. John Gruden's put a really good culture in place. And like I told you, didn't, don't be surprised if this culture is second to none. They're really good. I wouldn't say they're really good. They're really good at overcoming what we thought they were. But they're a solid football team that's going to be in the playoff mix by the end of the year. They win. They won this week. Great, great week by the Oakland Raiders. They're winners even though they lost. Uh, my fourth loser, Joe Flacco. Now, Joe Flacco's time was coming to an end in Denver. You know, I, I don't want to say his career's over, but it's certainly looking close to it. He was 2-6 and six as a starter, criticized the coaching staff after the game, and I'm not even saying he was wrong, but he criticized the coaching staff after the game, and then mysteriously he's got this crazy neck injury that's going to hold him out for four to six weeks. And they're starting, who, Brandon Allen or Brian Allen? It's Brandon Allen. It's Brandon Allen. First of all, why wouldn't you start Drew Locke? 
Why wouldn't you start Drew Locke? Is he hurt or something? He's still on IR. Is he? Yeah. I was gonna say if they're gonna if Drew Locke was healthy, let him be the guy. That's crazy. But Joe Flacco's a loser here because I think this could spell the end of his NFL career. Another loss for Denver. It's getting close to the end for Joe Flacco. And then the mysterious injury, he loses his job. And I would be very surprised if he got it back. Uh, My fifth and final winner. Again, another team that that they didn't lose, but they also didn't win because they were on a bye. The Baltimore Ravens, I think, are winners this week. And the reason I'm saying that is because, okay, Cleveland loses to New England. Cincinnati has another loss. Pittsburgh right now is second in your division. They were able to squeak by a Miami. Baltimore is in great shape to win this division, even better than they were last week. Their legitimate only threat was Cleveland. And Cleveland looks terrible. They were embarrassed by New England. They had three straight turnovers on three straight plays. I mean, Cleveland doesn't look legitimate. And they're going to get really annoying now because their schedule's going to get a little bit easier. But Baltimore right now sitting pretty at 5-2, and two, leading the division. They get New England next week, which I don't think is an incredibly tough game. I think that New England, I think that Baltimore could win that game at home. Baltimore right now, I love. I think they're really in good shape to win the division. Even if it's by a game or two, they're in good shape to win the division. So the Baltimore Ravens, they're my fifth and final winner. I uh, that, Honestly, they didn't even play this week, but they won. They came out of this week winners. And my final loser, the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills. This is a couple weeks in a row now where we've got to really question your offense. I mean, your defense is great, but Josh Allen uh, struggles throwing the ball sometimes. He just does, man. 16 of 34 this week, really inefficient, 47% completion percentage. You've got to be accurate in this league. And Buffalo, again, they've got a quarterback who I like. I think Josh Allen's going to be good. But he's got to get more accurate with the football. He's improved with his receivers. But this is one of those situations that's kind of opposite of the Chiefs. The Chiefs, they're expecting their offense to carry them everywhere. The the Bills are kind of expecting their defense to carry them everywhere. They've got to improve the offensive personnel on that side of the football. And again... They've got to get Josh Allen to start throwing the ball more accurately or it's going to cost them down the line. I still like Buffalo. I still think they're a playoff team, but this took a real dip in what we expect from them going forward. I need to see more from them offensively. Their defense is good enough. What are they going to do on the offensive side of the football? So those are my winners and losers of week eight. Winners, San Francisco, Philadelphia, New Orleans, the Oakland Raiders, and Baltimore those are my five winners and my five lo- uh, five losers. I told you we're going to see a trend. Mitch Trubisky, Sam Darnold, Andy Dalton, Joe Flacco, and then the Buffalo Bills. All right, Ev. Winners and losers. Real quick, uh, did I miss any? Did I, do you think I got it right? What, what do you think? Did you miss any? I think I nailed it this how week. About the, you know, how about 
Tennessee Titans at Ryan Tannehill. I mean, I'm not. I'm not he was sit. close. I mean, as a as a winner, I mean, they so they they sit. Obviously, they bench Marcus Mariota in the second half against the Tennessee against the Denver Broncos. After Mariota threw his, funny enough, his only two interceptions of the season. They put in Tannehill. He's been in there ever since. Played. He's played two games since, and they're they're two and zero, and they've won two games, and now they're four and four. They get the Carolina Panthers, which I do think is winnable for them. You know, it's in Carolina, so that's tough. But I do think Tennessee has a shot. I mean, hey, give credit to the Titans. The Titans, we know the Titans are scrappy. We know the Titans are a team that's got a good defense, a solid running game. You just need a quarterback that's going to manage the game right now. And Tannehill's done a fine job with that. So, yeah. hey, maybe Ryan, T- I don't know, Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill. Hey, no, I, listen, I was I, considering I Ryan Tannehill. I just don't um, know if I buy it. I don't know I, if I buy it, I, man. And since I mean, since because he hasn't looked great, he's just been better than Marcus but Mariota. Just, but just manage the game. That's it. That's all you ask. When you're a Tennessee Titan team that's scrappy and you have a strong defense and you have Derek yeah. Henry running the football, that's all you're asking. All you're asking is just manage the game and move the football and don't and don't turn the ball over. And that's exactly what they've done these two weeks. These two wins against all Tennessee right. and the Chargers. And uh, it, I actually was surprised you didn't put Mason Rudolph because Mason Rudolph, obviously, you know, yeah, I was surprised you didn't put Mason Rudolph as a loser. I mean, well, I, w- because, I wouldn't put... Like I, wouldn't, I said, he didn't play poorly, and I don't know if his job's in jeopardy yet. I think but that... You said, but you said yesterday he's, he doesn't look like the I, next no, franchise I quarterback. Don't, from what I see, I don't think he's the franchise quarterback, but that doesn't mean that the Steelers don't think that. The Steelers could still very well see, eh, the line's pretty good. He made a couple of decent throws. Eh, maybe we can work with him. I don't think Mason Rudolph is a loser yet. He will be... But he isn't a loser yet. The Y word. Yes. Came away came away with a win. I again I don't know what to think yet. I'm just I'm 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 checking it out a little bit. Checking it out. Alright. Alright, there we go. Winners and losers weekend. I do it every Wednesday. Loser, Jerry Jones for not making the deal for Jamal Adams. Yes, yes, <laughs> there you go. I was waiting for, for that. For not too. making the deal with Jamal Adams. Alright. Coming up next. <clears throat> I think the World Series last night brought up a really interesting question that's going to get answered in a couple of months, but I'm going to try and answer it now. It's the Haystack on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're listening to the Haystack Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Good to have you back, Haystack, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Mike Evan back here with you on Wednesday. Uh, rainy, dark, cloudy old Wednesday. It's terrible out. I hate it. Um, but here's uh, here's the deal. So game sevens tonight, World Series. Can't wait for it. Uh, I think the Nats get the uh, get the World Series crown tonight. I don't. I, I like if you're asking me to choose between pitchers. If Max Scherzer is fully healthy, which I would imagine he is, or else he wouldn't be coming back. Um, then I like Max Scherzer over Zach Granke. But, again, we're going to see. That isn't really the number one reason why I like them. The Nationals, to, first of all, I think the trend's going to continue. The road team seems to have the advantage in every game. So I'm going to go with the road team here. So I, if I'm going with that trend, the Nationals have felt like underdogs basically the entire way through. And that's the way that they're winning games. And again, it was on display last night. After Trey Turner got called out at first base from that absolutely awful call. And I mean, it was awful. That was a terrible call. 
Anthony Rendon, two batters later, hits a two-run home run and shuts everybody up. It's the ultimate screw you to Major League Baseball. I mean, that was, that was the way that it worked. And it was that's the kind of stuff that is driving the Washington Nationals forward to the point of where they're winning so much. Now, I do want to say this. This is really where I want to go with this, because I think everybody can understand how it was a terrible call, and I think that it's that call against Trey Turner I think was worse than the call in the NFC title game last year, the pass interference call. I think it was worse than the no-catch call on Des Bryant a couple of years ago. This was the worst call in a baseball game I've ever seen in my life. Maybe the worst call in sports because this was not even close. You basically rewarded Brad Peacock for – you penalized Trey Turner for a bad Brad Peacock throw. That's what you did. And that's not what you want to do uh, as Major League Baseball officials. But I do want to answer this question. I think the question needs to be brought up. Steven Strasburg and Garrett Cole – are the two best pitchers in the World Series right now. Both of them are free agents. Now, Garrett Cole over the regular season, 33 starts, 20-5, and 2.5 ERA, 212 and a third innings. He struck out 326 batters. That, ma- that led the major leagues. Then we look at Steven Strasburg, 18-6, which led the National League. 18-6. and six, with a 3.32 ERA in the same amount of starts, three, uh, 33 starts. Actually led the National League in innings pitched. He threw 209 innings, struck out 251 batters. Now, on the surface, Steven Strasburg, his numbers look a little bit inferior. Strasburg's 31, Garrett Cole's 29. Now, it begs the question, who gets paid more? That's what I think really is the question here. Now, my initial reaction would be it's Garrett Cole, younger, better numbers. But think about this for a second. Don't you think some of that has to deal with who gets paid first? Who gets paid first? If Garrett Cole gets paid first, then Steven Strasburg is going to get more. It's got something to do with the trend. It has everything to do with who's going to get the last phone call. I think, in my opinion, I can't tell you who would get paid more. I would pay Garrett Cole more, younger, better numbers. But I do think that the way that I see this is, whoever gets paid last gets more money. What do you think? I'm interested. I think whoever gets paid second well, whoever, gets whoever the gets, most money. Whoever gets paid first is going to set the market, which, may, which will then lead to it's, – it's actually – this is interesting because we had this last year with Machado and Harper, right? Right. This was it last year with Machado and Harper. Now we, now this we get is a this year's Machado and Harper. We get a pitcher's version this time. Machado and Harper, we're looking for and this, $300 this million. To, I'm much more interested in this now than I was last year because starting pitching is at such a premium now in the major leagues. This is where it sits right now. If Cole gets paid first, Strasburg's going to want more. If, if Strasburg gets paid first, Cole's right. going to want more. Yes. In terms of who I would pay more, who I think probably deserves more, I would probably say Garrett mm-hmm. Cole. Strasburg would worry me still because of his injury history. Not Nothing to do with his I, talent. I get that. Strasburg's talent is fantastic, and we're seeing it this year. We've seen it in years past. We've seen and it Strasburg this year in the has pitched better. I, this is a stat that I saw today. Okay. Steven Strasburg is the only pitcher in Major League history 
to go 5-0 and in his first five postseason starts. Crazy. He's the only guy in Major League history to go 5-0 and in his first five postseason starts. Crazy. How crazy is that? And it's interesting, too, in because remember... Major, in 150 years of Major League Baseball. Remember in 2012. The only guy. Remember in 2012, he was held out of the playoffs. The Nationals chose to hold him out of the playoffs due to, due to the uh, Tommy John surgery that he had right. before. They wanted to hold him out of the playoffs, and that was, this, that was the whole big thing back then uh, uh, with, for the Nationals during their first playoff run. He's been, fant- he's been their ace all, all postseason. Not Scherzer. Yeah. As good as Scherzer is and, and always has been, it's been Steven Strasburg. Yeah. So whoever gets whoever gets paid first will get will set the market, and then the next guy is going to say, "Okay, I want more. I deserve more because I did this and that and this and, this and that." Right. Garrett Cole. Garrett, if Steven Strasburg sets the market first, Garrett Cole is going to say, "Well, I, I won the AL Cy Young award. Pay me first. You know, right. pay me pay me more. I mean, right. I won the Cy Young. If Garrett Cole gets paid more, Strasburg's going to be like, and say especially if the Nationals win the World Series, Strasburg might be the World Series MVP, and he could say, "Hey." I was a big reason why I, my team won the World Series. I was possibly World Series MVP. I mean, if you really think about it, if the Nationals win tonight, the World Series MVP could go to Strasburg, Soto, or Anthony Rendon. Mm-hmm. That's, those would be the three top contenders for World Series MVP if, if the Nationals win tonight. Right. Strasburg could have that case if he wins. Whoever, whoever gets paid first is going to set the market, and then the last one's going to say, I want more than him. Right. I want more than that guy. <sighs> All right, let's go to the news. I like the Nationals tonight, Ev. Who do you like? I wish I had a... I wish I had a coin. Do I have a coin in my wallet or anything? Because like, this is such a this is such a. How about this? This is such a coin toss game. I got no I got no coins in my I got no change in my wallet. Nothing. I'm this a bottle flipping <laughs> champion. <laughs> bottle flipping. Okay. If I land it, if I land it, you make the call. If I land it, who do you pick? If you land it? Yes. Astros. If I don't land it. The Nationals. Okay. Here we go. This is an experiment. Oh, my God. We're doing live on the air. Here we go. <laughs> Astros. I'm all in on the Astros tonight. Astros. I'm still going national. This is though. such a tough game to pick, though, because, like... If the game is decided by my bottle flip, I should be a gajillionaire. You should you should have enough video evidence to say, hey, this is what, Astros, this is why you won the World yes, Series. Yes, this I is am. exactly why you won the World this Series. This is such a coin toss game, because on the Astros side, we mentioned the road team, right? But we also believe in do. We believe yeah. that Dew could factor in, and maybe the Astros are due for that one home win. Right. But I also road... believe in in, in uh, bounce-back theory. Bounce I believe in theory, underdog yes. mentality. Like All of that, I think, needs to be thrown out of the window tonight. We seven. just kind of have to take a guess. I think it's... And I'm uh, my guess is the Washington Nationals win tonight. Granky has been really good the last couple of starts. It all comes down to Scherzer for me. How... How healthy is Scherzer? If Scherzer is healthy and he's his dominant self, and he not even dominant, just gives him a solid outing, the Nationals will win this game. Yeah. But if he's still affected by the injury and he's not himself, the Astros can win this game. Not win it, but just maybe they win it pretty early. Yeah. It's all going to come down, for me, it's going to come down to Scherzer. Yeah. It's going to come down to how healthy Scherzer is. And, of course, while Granke's going in, we might see Garrett Cole tonight. Oh, I think yeah. We're, we're going to see Garrett. Gonna not see, might. We you, will see him. No, you will see Garrett Cole tonight. You will see everybody... Everybody except for Steven Strasburg and Justin Verlander are available for tonight's game. Yeah. That's it. Pretty much. Those are the only guys. And I, again, this is gonna, available. you're going you're gonna to think I'm nuts for this. Corbin's because available. We're obviously in the news here on a Wii Sports Wednesday with our interim Big J journalist, Evan Mazza. But I do want to, you're going to think I'm nuts. Wouldn't be surprised if for 
an out, two outs, crazy for an inning. Wouldn't be surprised if we saw Strasburg warming up in the pen. Just Wouldn't well. be surprised. For an out, for two outs, if they were crazy, maybe an inning. Wouldn't be surprised. If there's like a situation where they got to face Alex Bregman or something like or that. Altuve in the, or... You're right, they got to face Altuve in the bottom of the eighth inning. They're up by one. Don't be surprised if you see Strasburg again tonight. And I know it sounds crazy because he threw over 100 pitches in eight and a third innings last night. But don't be surprised if you at least see him warming in the pen. It's game seven. It's all. It's Everybody's all on the table. Now, I think Verlander, uh, truthfully, I think Verlander is off limits. Verlander is off limits for the Astros. But they'd be comfortable with Garrett Cole. I don't know. Interesting. All right, what's next, Steph? Well, speaking of Justin Verlander, Verlander went out there last night and uh, he struggled a bit. He struggled. Five, only five innings. Uh, only five innings, five hits, three runs. All of them earned three walks. The Nationals made him. The Nationals made him work. They made him work. Uh, yes, first, they did. They did. They, they did really well. Guys, a really all series. Uh, they did October uh, in game uh, game uh, two, game two of the World Series. They did well against him. Seven hits, four runs against him, three walks. Uh, 5.73 ERA in the World Series this year. 0 and 5. We mentioned Strasburg's record in the World Series. Verlander's record in the World Series is what 0 and 5, 0 and 6, or something like that. Right. So. What do you take away? What's your takeaway? What's our takeaway from Justin Verlander last night? I, I think we kind of need to give him a little bit of slack. I do, because I, 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 I think that I think Justin Verlander is a great pitcher, and he's a great postseason pitcher. But he does he struggles specifically in the World Series. He struggles in that final series. So no, do I? I don't think it, if you're asking me like if it takes away anything from his legacy, I don't no. think it does. No, I don't think it does. He's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. So here's the numbers: Justin Verlander in the ALDS in eight ALDS games, uh, 2.52 ERA. In I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry. Uh, in in eight ALDS series,es in seven ALCSs. He's got a 3.13 ERA. Still good. In four World Series appearances. Pretty high, the ERA. Justin Verlander is at 5.68. Yeah. He's a different pitcher in the World Series. But still a great postseason pitcher. Still a great postseason pitcher. Struggles in the World Series. I, I don't think he's heading downhill or anything. I think that's a well, little we thought, looney tune. Well, that was, again, that was something many thought before if he was heading downhill a few years ago. Then he went to the Astros and had this and has had this amazing run for the Astros. A lot of people thought he was done Detroit. And then the Astros made that move, and he's been fantastic for them ever since. But certainly not. It's certainly, if you're Verlander, it's not something you want on your resume. It happens right. your struggles in the World Series. You had an opportunity to end the thing, to end this World Series last night, and unfortunately, the Astro, the Nationals got to him, and he was only able to give you five innings. And that was that was right. big for the Astros too, because now you used your bullpen for the remaining four innings, trying to keep the team, trying to keep the game close. And unfortunately, the Nationals pulled away in the end. So, how does that affect the Astros today with their bullpen? I think the Astros really need going tonight. They really need Granky to give them six or seven. Yeah, and that's I know it's game seven, but they with the bullpen they, they do have. Size, he's got to give them some length. You got to give him, yeah, some length. But don't be surprised if the game gets away from him, even in the slightest. AJ oh, Hinch is out. AJ out. Hinch take is out. out there. Take him out. If he's going to jam <clears> in the second <throat> inning, he's done. Second, third inning, he's being taken out. Yeah. I wonder how Granky fares tonight. This is not me making fun of him or anything like that, but. Zach Greinke's known to have like that social anxiety disorder, right? He gets a little nervous in big moments. 
I wonder how Granky is affected tonight. I mean, this is the biggest game he's possibly pitched. I think this is the biggest game he's pitched in in his career. So, I wonder how he fares. I do. I wonder how he fares tonight. But, uh, I don't know. We'll see. What's uh, finally, Evan? NFL trade deadline. Uh, obviously, really, really, only, the only thing that happened of note was the key to leave. A lot of the stuff that happened, a lot of stuff happened before the deadline. Marcus Pierce to the Ravens, uh, Jalen Ramsey to the Rams. You know, so on and so forth. Leonard Williams, I Leonard Williams a few days ago straight to the Giants. Uh, I look at the, my biggest loser for me in this trade deadline was the Philadelphia Eagles. They needed yeah. they needed a corner. They never they, they had corners out there on the market. Never could really get. Yeah, them. They, I, middle, they have trouble in the middle of the field. But I'm disappointed in a lot of those teams, man. I am. I'm disappointed in a lot of what they're doing in a lot of teams. I said it at the beginning of the show. You've got to be aggressive. You know those last minute moves that you can make nobody made them the biggest move we had was Aqib Tlaib as it was a salary dump Aqib Tlaib's a dolphin now really? But I just look at the that's Eagles. what we've got now? I look at the Eagles and they had a big win against the Bills but yeah no still, they definitely needed to do more you're still the, you're still the a team chasing the Dallas Cowboys the Cowboys trade or no for Jamal Adams or, I, I didn't think they need Jamal Adams their, their defense is one of the top and best in the NFL they, the Cowboys, that would have put it over the top. The Cowboys destroyed them a few weeks ago. The Eagles kind of needed a help, whether it's at wide receiver, whether it's at defensive line, whether it's at the I'm sorry, think, the linebacker, whether it's at the secondary. Think about that defensive personnel that Dallas would have had. Okay, Demarcus Lawrence, Robert Quinn, Michael Bennett, Leighton Vanderush, Jalen Smith, Sean Lee, Byron Jones, and Jamal Adams, all on that defense, all of them. And then you're not including Chidabe Awuzie, Jordan Lewis, Xavier Woods, Jeff Heath, Antoine Woods, Tyrone Crawford. That's the thing. Like, defense- you're not including any of those guys. Those are the stars on their defense. Those They would have eight stars on their defense. They would be close to the best defense in the NFL. Well, that's, that's the thing, though. The Cowboys' defense is already pretty darn good. Already a great defense. I never thought they really needed to go get Jamal Adams. But Jamal was, Adams would be a great Cowboy, though. But well, He'd be a great Cowboy. He's from Texas. He's from Texas. He's, a, he's, a, he's from Texas. Boy, oh, boy. Didn't Alex Bregman kind of, like, pull something back yesterday with the bat thing? Wait a minute. Oh. Al- Alex Bregman, like, apologized or something like that. Oh yes, the whole bats the bat saga with Juan so he, Soto. With Juan Soto, he carried the bat all the way down first base, he carried and the then bat. Juan Soto hit a homer, and he did the same. Did the same exact thing. Boy, oh boy! And here's Alex Bregman after the game, apologizing for it, apologizing for the uh, whole bat 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 scenario. Um. Oh, there you go, Alex Bregman. First base. What was kind of going through your mind in that moment? Um, well, I just let um, my emotions get the best of me, um, and um, it's uh, it's not how I was raised to play the game, and um, I I just let my emotions get the best of me, and I'm sorry for for doing that. Um, I just yeah yeah he. Uh, I like Alex Bregman a lot, Evan. I think he's a great player, and I think he's a good kid. Trains a lot with A-Rod. 
Like, and look, I'm not sure he had anything to apologize for, but well, he probably. But felt, that was that was the right thing to do. He probably felt okay. I just did that. Juan Soto responded because then that means the Nationals saw that and said, "Okay, all right, right." All right we and see now it, we when see we it. take your pitcher, Bridge, we're yeah, gonna and we're gonna do the same thing. Right now, I like, hear you. So I yeah I I I love it personally because it's the World Series. Let's have some fun. These two teams are trying to win a championship, so they're kind of going back. But I, I totally understand Alex Bregman being like, "Yeah, that was sorry, guys. I was that was my bad." Because yeah, with yeah. Soto, with Soto doing that, Nationals probably saw that and said, "Okay, all right, here we go." And Soto yeah. does it. Soto hits a home run, a absolute monster shot. It's a missile. I did not think was going to go that deep. That was I thought, a missile. I thought when Soto hit the ball, I'm like, "Okay, it's either going to go to the warning track or it's just going to go out." No, that thing just completely traveled. Well, that's the thing. Like, the bat-carrying thing didn't really bother me that much. It didn't. But I love the fact that Alex Bregman took responsibility for it. No, he didn't say, oh, well, people are complaining about it. they got to get over it. No, he said, listen. My bad. I, I, that's not the way that I was raised to, to play the game. I apologize yeah. for that. Even if he didn't think he did, everything, uh, he did anything wrong. You know, if you've ever been in a relationship before, you understand that if you saying sorry could just be for the betterment of a situation. That's what Alex Bregman did, and I love that. I, I think it was a really classy move by a really classy player. I like Alex Bregman a lot. No, and he, I really do. He probably one he, of the faces of baseball now. He did it. He did it because I think he did it because he knew that fired up the Nationals, and with with the loss, you know, he took he decided to go up to the me and say, "Okay, yeah, hey guys, right. hey, you know what? I let the most get the best of me. You know, my bad. Let's let's go out and put this behind us and go win tomorrow." So. So I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was fun though, because I, I thought when Soto did the same thing, I'm like, oh, it's on. <laughs> they, they got, they saw the message. The National Star and said, okay, we see it. This is, this is a fun series. Who would have yeah. thought at the beginning of the season, the World Series would be the Nationals Astros, and it'd be this fun. This World Series is fun. This is a great it's World amazing Series. Amazing World Series. All right, that's the news. Interim Big J journalist Evan Mazza here on a Wii Sports Wednesday. Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, we've had a busy show today. Last two hours have been great. Uh, and we're going to be ready for another a great third hour. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I, he just texted me. I think my old buddy, my old co-host, Tyler Harrison, He's gonna call in? is going to come in and play Is He Worth It with us. Hey! I think that's what's going to happen. It'll be good to see my old, my old uh, gonna... partner again. Your old... Your old... Your old yeah. psych. Your he's old... a lot better than you. I'm. I'm. I'm just kidding. He's. He's. He's not as good as you, Evan. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> Maybe no. Don't possibly. tell anybody, but yes, he is. Oh boy! All right, coming up next, hour number three. Can't wait. What we saw yesterday, I'm extremely disappointed in. Or, I guess, in better terms, what we didn't see yesterday. That's coming up next. It's the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents the, 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 the Haystack Show with Mike Guido. Hour three on a Wednesday. It's the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Mike Guido, Evan Mazza, my producer. Good to have you in here on a Wednesday. Great first two hours, hour three. 
on a rainy old Wednesday. Plenty of stuff to cover today. Had winners and losers a week eight earlier on. Uh, we play Is He Worth It in a little bit. We bring my my old buddy Tyler Harrison onto the onto the stage with me to get that done. Uh, <laughs> he's sitting in sitting in the room here. So let's let's get into hour three with this. I've made the argument before that being aggressive is the way you succeed in any business. You never get a job sitting in your hands. You have to knock on the boss's office and, and, and convince him you're the guy and then do it again next week. Go get the things that you want and you need. Now, that doesn't mean put a blindfold on and throw darts in a dark room. But when the opportunity presents itself or the opportunity comes where you can create one for yourself, I'd advise you more often than not just to go for it. With that being said, I'm very disappointed in what we saw yesterday. Or, I guess, more appropriately speaking, what we didn't see. The NFL trade deadline was yesterday and saw virtually nothing. The biggest trade of the day was a salary dump from the Rams. Akib Tlaib is now a Dolphin. Whoopee. It isn't like the rumors weren't out there. Teddy Bridgewater, Jamal Adams, A.J. Green, O.J. Howard. The players were there. Whether they were being actively shopped or not, make it happen. You've got to make things happen in the NFL. The Cowboys reportedly sent a real solid offer to the Jets for Jamal Adams, and the Jets wanted more. I'm okay with the Jets wanting more. But if I'm the Cowboys, I have to evaluate whether or not my draft picks are more valuable than the player I'm getting. If it's a first and a second round pick, d- do it. Are you kidding? So what if you overpay a little? You're trying to win a Super Bowl in a loaded NFC with a ton of great offenses, and you would have just gotten Jamal Adams. You've got to really evaluate what's that worth to you. Successful teams make the aggressive moves when they have to. They spend the money even if it is a little too much. They made it happen. We see it everywhere in sports. Everywhere. There are a million examples out there. The Warriors signed Kevin Durant after they won a title because they couldn't they didn't they, they lost to LeBron, signed Kevin Durant, won two titles with him. <laughs> You don't think that's aggressive? The Cubs gave up Glaber Torres to get Aroldis Chapman and broke a 100-year curse. They won the World Series. I mean, we're seeing it in the World Series now. These two teams were crazy aggressive, and people are going to tell me, but Mike, that's not true. Come on, what what did the Nationals do that was aggressive? Uh, A lot, actually. They gave Patrick Corbin $140 million. They signed Max Scherzer to super money when he was a free agent. They traded a top pitching prospect for Sean Doolittle. Yeah, that kid Jesus Lazardo that's killing it in Oakland right now. Yeah, he was a national first. Oh, and oh, do we not remember that they traded Lucas Giolito, who at the point was the number one pitching prospect in baseball, Ronaldo Lopez, who was another great pitching prospect, both of which those guys are in the White Sox current and future rotation, and a kid named Dane Dunning, who's like six foot eight and throws 100 miles an hour. They traded all of those guys 
all for Adam Eaton. For Adam Eaton. And everybody, I could tell you today, the Nationals overpaid for Adam Eaton. But guess what? They're a game away from winning the World Series. Don't tell me they weren't aggressive. And don't even tell me about Don't tell me about Houston. Traded for Verlander. Traded for Garrett Cole. Traded for Granke. Traded for Roberto Osuna. Signed Michael Brantley. I mean, they did a ton too. And this was already probably the best team in the American League. And they got better and better and better and better four or five times over. Sometimes you have to be aggressive to get where you want to go. I'm disappointed that more teams didn't make the last push to improve the trade deadline. I am. The opportunities from what I saw were there. But teams got stingy and wanted to hold on to the assets. And I I know a lot of moves were made before the deadline. But when the final opportunities presented themselves, nobody wanted to pull the trigger. You've got to make stuff happen in this league. I expected a lot more moving pieces yesterday, and we got none. Aqib Talib's a dolphin. That's what we got. Be aggressive and get where you want to go. It's that simple. You have to go get things in life. You knock on the boss's door and don't take no for an answer. Be annoying. Okay, if you send in your resume and then six months later you follow up, he hired somebody five months ago. You're too late. Okay, send in the resume. Go visit him in person. Hand it to him. Laminate the resume. Knock on his door next week. Follow up quickly. Be annoying. Be the guy he has to give the job to. It applies in everything else. Be aggressive in what you want to do. That's how you win. In the NFL and in a lot of other sports across the league, everything. The Rams went to the Super Bowl last year. <laughs> Marcus Peters? Uh, another guy, Akeem Talib? <laughs> Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, they got Andrew Whitworth. I mean, Jesus, they just traded for Jalen Ramsey. I, I mean, and I didn't like the Ramsey trade, but t- you can't tell me it wasn't aggressive. It was. Teams that are moving pieces, constantly improving, are the teams that are getting better and having success in this league. Okay, think about this. Does anybody not realize how good the Patriots are? (laughs) Does anybody not realize how good the San Francisco 49ers are? (laughs) Seriously, especially if you're a team in the NFC. You've got the Saints, you've got the Packers, you've got the 49ers. I mean, God, the list doesn't end. You've got like nine teams that can make the playoffs in the NFC. Probably more than that. To me, I think, okay, just, if you want to make things happen in the league, you got to be aggressive. And what I saw yesterday was really, really disappointing. I wanted to see way more. No teams made the final push, and that final push is how you win in this league. All right, let's shift. I want to get into something a little bit more touchy. So the NCAA started the process yesterday of allowing college athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness. California was the first state to implement it after Governor Gavin Newsom signed the bill recently. He signed it with 
LeBron on his, I think, BR Live show, The Shop. I think it was on there. It was a big, dramatic thing. Now, on the surface, this all sounds great. Finally, athletes can take advantage of the opportunities they've created for themselves through their athletic talent and all of that stuff. They can sign endorsement deals and get part-time jobs and, and, and all that great stuff. It sounds fantastic. I'm amazed. It sounds great. First, let me tell you what I'm grateful for so far. I'm glad that the schools are not directly paying the athletes. That would have opened up a really dangerous door where certain schools have the advantage over others and eliminating the merit and purpose of, of scholarships and, and all that. I'm really grateful that the schools are not directly paying the athletes. I'm also grateful for the fact that the NCAA as an organization, they're not getting involved with the athletes financially. They're, they're not. They, they're letting, all right, you just do your business. Again, same deal. Some schools have an increased advantage over others on how much they're televised and all of that. It take a bunch of lawyers to figure that out. I'm glad the NCAA is not fine getting in bed with athletes. Now let me tell you why I have an issue with this. Just like anything else, money sways people into certain decisions. People kill other people if the money's good enough. Do we, not th- <laughs> do we not think that this creates an incredible advantage in recruiting for bigger brands? But this is what this is all about. We can say all we want about how the NCAA is a whole, uh, as a whole are just greedy money mongers and they're massively corrupt, but that's never what it's been about, and it's naive to think otherwise. It's, uh, it's childish, actually. This has always been about quality of product. The NCAA doesn't want the big brands to be the only ones that compete. They already have that problem. They want them to be good, but having the same three, four schools in it every single year already hurts their business. This doesn't help. If a top basketball recruit, for example, in high school, has three options to choose from. What program does he want to play for? Let's say it's between Duke, Michigan State, and Arizona. All good basketball schools. Duke has twice the advantage they had before. They already did. But they have twice what they had before. Not only do they have the advantage because of coach, history, whatever, but Duke is the biggest college basketball brand in the world That athlete is going to make more money there than anywhere else through endorsements, video games, or anything else. He makes more money at Duke. This idea creates an unfair advantage in recruiting. That's the problem. Okay? We all kind of got to remind ourselves, right? Society as a whole. Let's take the sports out of it for a second. Society as a whole doesn't like it when the rich get richer. It, you hear politicians all the time. They're trying to come up with different policies and ideas to keep the rich from getting richer. It hurts the middle class, hurts the lower class, it hurts everybody except for rich people. They don't like it when the rich get richer. But let's talk about this for a second. This idea that the NCAA is coming up with, 
guarantees that the rich get richer. It guarantees it. You're trying to help the athlete, but you're actually making the landscape worse. The big brands will survive, and the other schools will lose funding, lose popularity, and eventually in the future, lose particular programs. They will. It looks great on the surface, but in reality, this isn't the move the NCAA wants to make. Couldn't, couldn't Nike tell an athlete, hey, we'll, we'll endorse you, but the money you'll make is much, much better if you go here, here, here. Eh, don't, don't go over there or there or there. Yeah, choose between, like, these three schools. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, let's say that Zion Williamson, sure, he's a high school kid again. Zion, I know you're choosing between a couple of schools, Kansas, Duke, whoever. Listen, the money's really good if you go to Duke. Why don't you go there? Okay. It's great for your brand. Go to Duke. And then they go to R.J. Barrett. Yeah, go to Duke. Go to John Morant. Yeah, go to Duke. Cam Reddish. Yeah, go to Duke. You're going to make more money there. Okay. Don't tell me that won't happen. Because it already does. And you pretty much made it more acceptable to do that. I don't have a problem with players benefiting from their likeness as a college athlete. But it has to be in certain avenues. This is not one of them. Use their... Here's what, I'd be in, in, here's what I'd be in for. Here's what I would be in for. Use their names in video games and let them profit off of that. Everybody wins. The athlete makes their money because instead of, that, right, Evan, in those old NCAA football games, instead of having, you know, uh, number two quarterback for Alabama, it would actually be, or I'm sorry, not number two, number 13. Mm-hmm. Number 13 quarterback for Alabama. You would, actually, you would actually be able to see that that's Tua Tagovailoa. Instead of number 16 quarterback for Clemson, you'd say, okay, that's Trevor Lawrence. It's harmless. Let the video game companies pay them. Seriously, they pay everybody else. It, let them get residual checks for it. It makes more sense that way. That way, endorsement deals, you're not dealing with boosters. You're not dealing with money under the table. You're not dealing with NCAA corruption. The schools are not directly paying them. Why don't you just make it legal for NCAA athletes in every sport? You come out with a baseball game. You come out with a basketball game. You come out with a football game. Every school is featured in it with their actual players. With their actual players. What's the problem? It's completely harmless. But endorsements? I'm out. I'm out. You're open up doors that you don't want to open. And that's not what we want here. Okay. Plenty of stuff we had today. We were absolutely loaded. Loaded. Literally, I ran out of room on this page. I had to condense a couple of segments because of it. Told you to save some stuff for tomorrow. Uh, Yeah. Well, I I won't have anything for tomorrow based on on how much stuff we had today. So you're telling me we just got to make stuff up like real radio people? Correct. Yes. All right. Coming up next, we got the news... And then we play it every Wednesday. It's called Is He Worth It? Evan gives me a player and a number value. i got to determine whether that player is worth that number. We do it every Wednesday. I get great feedback on it, so we keep doing it. 
That's coming up next. It's the Haystack on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're listening to the Haystack Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's good to have you back. Haystack Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Mike, Evan, hour three before we close out the show today. Uh, is he worth it? Tyler Harrison coming on in a little bit. Uh, but I do, I, like I said, I touched on this a little bit earlier. You know, everybody got excited about Kyrie Irving going to Brooklyn, and he's averaging 38 points a game. That's all great. But we've seen it already. He's already kind of getting moody. Jackie McMullen, who's reporting for ESPN, she's been in the business for longer than most. She's a really well-respected reporter. I don't think she's making stuff up, saying that he's he's gotten a little... It's making the Nets executives a little bit queasy. He gets a little moody, and that's... I'll be honest with you. I'm not surprised by that because he's been that his entire career. He was moody in Cleveland. He was moody in Boston. And now he's moody in Brooklyn. There's no real, you know, off the trend here. And I always compare Kyrie Irving to the girlfriend that never knows what he wants. Right? He's he's constantly, he's either sweet as pie or he hates your guts for no reason, you know, when you wake up in the morning. So, and I get this. I love Kenny Atkinson. I love Kenny Atkinson. And I think he said the right thing to me, to the media but he's the guy who's trying to explain to his parents that his girlfriend isn't crazy. She's just kind of, you know, like this sometimes. That is completely false. And my, and strictly speaking of my observation and my, my uh, experience with them so far, it's absolutely uh, not true. Uh, I say I'm the moody one. <laughs> I really am. I, I, I hate to, like, I'm, I'm cranky and, and I, I have my ups and downs, so... If there's just natural human behavior where guys are up and down, that's that's different. But from my perspective, I I, I just give him an, uh, you know give Kyrie an A plus on his consistency and his and his spirit and and uh, uh, it's been great. Yeah. Well, I- <laughs> well uh, you know he's trying to sell it to you. No, guys, come on, I'm the crazy one. No, come on, she she's not even that bad. <laughs> I'm I'm the guy you gotta worry about. You're you whatever. And like I said, I think Kenny Atkins is one of the best coaches in the NBA. But he's one of the worst liars I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I could see right through him. I could see right through him. I, he's, of course he's trying to cover, cover up for Kyrie. He said all the right things to the media. I'm not bashing him for it. But I could see right through Kenny Atkinson, without question. Okay, to think that this is some made-up thing that Jackie McMullen came up with. She's been in the business a long time. She's not making stuff up. And Kyrie has had this trend throughout his career. He was moody in Cleveland. His mind keeps changing. He leaves Cleveland, goes to Boston, was in the perfect situation in Boston, couldn't poke a hole in it if it was asking it to, and then he wants to go to Brooklyn, and now he's the man, and now he's getting annoying again. I love Kyrie Irving, but this is who he is. Nobody should be surprised. The Nets shouldn't be, the Nets shouldn't be surprised. This is what they signed up for, and it's fine. He's going to average 25-plus points per game, be one of the best ball handlers in the league. He's going to be able to create shots with some of the best in the entire NBA. And along the way, he's, he's going to be a little annoying. He's going to be the girlfriend that you deal with because you love her. That's really what he's going to be. He's like the playful dog that runs around in the backyard and, no, I want the ball. No, wait, I, I want the squirrel. No, I, now I want the bone. No, wait, 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 wait. Wait, I want the ball again. And then he's running around in circles in the backyard because he doesn't know what he wants. It's Kyrie Irving. And I love the guy, but 
That's the way he is, and it should be no surprise to Brooklyn. All right, uh, for the final time on a Wii Sports Wednesday, let's go to the news with our interim Big J journalist, Evan Maz, on a Wednesday. Final Wii Sports Wednesday segment of the week. Mm, don't like that. Can't wait till next Wednesday. Okay, so yesterday, big news in the NFL, not, not just with the trade deadline, but on his 32nd birthday, unfortunately, Andy Dalton was It was benched. his birthday was, yesterday, his, and he third. got... Yeah, it was his wow. birthday. They benched him on his 32nd birthday. That's, uh, that's not a birthday gift you want. Not a birthday gift you want at all. How could you bench a guy on his birthday? Cincinnati Bengals. That's bench all I can him tell next you. week. That's all I can tell you. Jesus. Cincinnati Bengals pulling pulling a something. And I don't know. Benching the poor like, dude okay. on his birthday. I don't disagree with them benching him. They're zero and eight. But I mean, he's, they're obviously moving on from him over the course of the year. But I, on his birthday, really? Yeah. That's terrible. Thank. That's terrible. That's the Bengals for you. But uh, he was. But they will go with Ryan Finley next Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens. Bengals are on a bye. See what you have in him. Tyler Why Boyd, not? Give it a shot. Tyler Boyd said yesterday via the Bengals website, he said, nothing seems to be going right this season. It's not Andy's fault. There are plays he wishes he had back out there, and every guy in this locker room feels the same way. The quarterback is just the most pressure position. I praise Andy for doing what he's done here. He's got great numbers, a pro bowler. He's the number one quarterback in my eyes. And yeah, oh, I think, I think the players like him. I don't think it's a matter of that. I think the organization is just thinking, you know, we just got to move on. And with all, that's, and with, that's, that's what it's looking like right now. There, I am telling you right now, Justin Herbert is destined to be a Cincinnati Bengal. I think Andy Dalton's like, run in Cincinnati was overall a good run. It was. Two, three division championships, made the playoffs five years in a row. Unfortunately, they just could never get over the hump of, making, of, make, of winning a playoff game. He's fourth in the games. NFL in passing yards. Hmm. Andy Dalton is fourth in the league in in yards passing. I mean, look, he's put up decent numbers this year. It's just that, you know, he's he's meh. He's got more completions, more attempts than anybody else. So he's throwing the ball more than any other quarterback in the NFL, I'm which just, shows you how much confidence they have in Joe Mixon. And you know, Zach Taylor, Zach Taylor came in came into this situation. Andy Dalton wasn't his quarterback. He drafted now Zach Taylor. Yeah, have they're a gonna they're gonna move on. And, and I get it. They're gonna move on, but Zach Taylor will have an opportunity now to draft whoever he wants. Could be Tua. Well, could it's be the right Burrow. decision. They should they should move on. Yes. All right. Uh, in the NBA. Uh, Reports are executives are watching the Houston Rockets. Clint Capella, who was dangled in trade talks earlier last summer, but got pulled back when the Rockets went all in on Russell Westbrook. If the Rockets need midseason changes, and they uh, if the Rockets need midseason changes, Clint Capella could be available again. So NBA executives looking out for Clint Capella. Oh yeah, go ahead, trade, trade away more depth. God Almighty, you're already running with six guys. You got Westbrook, Harden, Eric Gordon, PJ Tucker, Clint Capella, and Daniel House, and that's it. I'm sorry, Austin Rivers is in there too. Whoopee. I, why? I, you should be trading four guys, not trading away guys. You have nobody. Uh, like I said, I never bought into the Rockets. I think that at best they're a low-end playoff team in the West. That's all they're going to be. I, I just, you can't take two of the most inefficient players in the entire NBA, two highest usage rate guys, and expect them to feed off each other. It's not going to work. James Harden is shooting 25% from the field. Not from three. 25% from the field so far this year. He's been awful. 
and one of them's going to get aggravated when the other one gets cold. They're going to demand the ball, and then that one's going to get cold. It's going to be a never-ending cycle of crap. It's terrible. Uh, trading Clint Capella. Yeah, he's your problem. Give me a break. My God. Seriously, trade away some draft picks and grab a player that'll actually work with you. Lord Almighty. All right, finally. So with the controversial call yesterday in, in Houston, uh, the Nationals ended up Whoa. winning the game. Uh, but the call, obviously, uh, the call with uh, down the first baseline happened. Uh, Joe Torre, president of Major League Baseball, said yeah. they, Joe, uh, Joe Buck actually said that's a potential series-changing call. Uh, Joe Buck said that Joe when that happened. And Joe Torre said that Joe Torre said that he believes it was the right call when it happened. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, he's got to stand by Major League Baseball. He can't say, yeah, we totally muffed that one. He's got to stand by it. And the thing is, is that it was one of those plays where it just ticks you off so much because you can't review the play because it's not reviewable. It's a it's a judgment call. Torrey's full quote it was, the call was the fact that he interfered with Guriel trying to catch the ball. Uh, adding that Holbrook made the right call at first base. That was his full quote after the game. Well, that's the thing, is he can't say that he can't say that he made the wrong call. He can't say that he made the wrong call. Because it isn't a reviewable play. He's gotta stand by his guy. If if the if Major League Baseball is going to admit that they made the wrong call, they're gonna do it after the World Series is over. That's what's basically gonna happen. But that was, and like I said, that was an absolutely brutal call. I think that, and I'm, I'm not kidding. That was the worst call I've ever seen in a, in a sporting event. It was. That was the worst call I've ever seen. It was worse than the Des, no, Des Bryant no-catch call. I think it was worse than the pass interference call in the NFC title game last year. This call was, I mean, there was no possible way that that would have been interference zero possible way and they created a situation out of nothing I mean that was absolutely awful worst call I've ever seen but alright that's the news interim Big J journalist Evan Mazza here on a Friday I'm sorry not a Friday Wednesday I'm we losing sports my mind Wednesday. we sports Wednesday very rainy annoying it's been terrible on Long Island lately. It really, it's like killing my mood. I, I really hate when it rains. I hate when it gets all gray and cloudy. It makes my whole life miserable. It drives me nuts. Snow's coming I am, too. I am severely affected by weather. Severely. Snow's coming too. Yeah, it, well, yeah, you can tell that if it's raining a lot, it's going to snow a lot too. It's going to be bad. All right, and now at this time, I'd like to bring on a very special guest of mine, Tyler Harrison, host of the Home Stretch, my former co-host. Uh, look, I, I, I've never had you on my show, bud, but uh, this is exciting for me. This is exciting for me. I guess he gets his mic here. Is that the mic that you use? Yep. All right. So By Tyler, the way, Kenny Atkinson, that's a complete lie. But well, what do you mean it's a complete lie? I mean, I kind of invited myself. Yes, you did. I did. Yes, you did. And even if you would have said no, I still would have showed up, so it really didn't matter. That's true. Right. All right, Evan, uh, let's play Is He Worth It? Uh, we play it every Wednesday. Evan gives me a player and a number value. I got to tell you whether that player is worth it or he is not. I feel like you is like this. Pirates of the Caribbean? 
Actually, it's Madden 15 music, the soundtrack from Madden 15. Really? I mean, if you want me to play Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, it's not my show, but goddamn, that's awfully similar. All right, Evan, here we go. What do you got? Uh, Garrett Cole. We're going to start with Garrett Cole. The man, the myth, the legend, Garrett Cole. Free agent at the end of the season. Possible New York Yankee for you, too. Garrett Cole, is he worth is he worth it? $35 million average annual salary. That's what Zach Greinke is making, $34 million. So is he worth 35 to 40, Garrett Cole? You know, pitchers are so tough just because, like, the market for pitchers kind of fluctuates sometimes. Kershaw makes 31, Greinke makes 34, Verlander makes 22. It's just a bunch of numbers thrown out there. Gar- I would give Garrett Cole... I was talking about this with my dad last night. I think I would give Garrett Cole thirty-two-ish million dollars a year. I That's would. A lot. I think I'd give him That's an. I think I'd give him an eight-year, two hundred fifty million dollar contract to be the ace of the New York Yankees. Tyler. That's what I would do. So I would say you said thirty-five, Evan. Thirty-five million average annual average. If you're already size. paying him thirty-two, what's three million bucks? Uh, yeah, I'd give him thirty-five. I'm not sniffing thirty-five. Not even close. Um, here's the thing. Garrett Cole is going to be great for one year, and then he's going to be so-so the next, and then great the next. If I'm paying a pitcher $35 million, and I don't know how this game goes, if I'm paying that money, I'm going after Strasburg, Scherzer, Bueller. I'm getting somebody that's, you're my ace, and I don't have to worry about you after I pay you. Okay. And the reason I say Strasburg is everyone's going to go, oh, the injury, the injury. I don't care about the injury. When he's on the mound, he's a top five pitcher in baseball. When Garrett Cole's on the mound, he could be a top five pitcher one inning and the next. If I'm giving Garrett Cole top salary, I'll make the back end heavy to satisfy him. But the average annual salary, I'm not touching 35. He's lucky if I give him 30. 300 for Garrett Cole? How many years? Let's go. He's 30, eight. so it's got to be Let's eight, go six. seven, eight years, something like that. Seven, eight years. What would be the average annual of that? 10? No. What what would be the average annual of that? Well, you you said three hundred, right? Ev? Is he right. worth, is he a three hundred million dollar pitcher? Are you willing no. to pay three hundred million no. for Derek Cole? No way in hell. Three hundred million is a lot of money. If I'm paying three hundred million dollars, it's Mike Trout. That's it. Yeah. Mike Trout's the only player in the world. By the way, his contract is cheap. If he would have hit everyone's all four hundred million dollars, Mike Trout would have hit the open market. He would have made five. All right, next one. Steven Strasburg, same thing. <laughs> is he worth 35 average annual salary? Steven Strasburg, currently he's got currently he's making 25 million average annual salary, but if he opts out, 35 million. You know, I I'm a huge Strasburg guy too. The injuries do worry me a little bit. 31 years old. He's 2 years older than Garrett Cole. I no, I wouldn't go 35 for him. He's two years older. The injury history. If I was going to give him thirty-five million, it would have to be for like five years. I I, I would be really nervous giving him thirty-five million dollars. I'd probably give him thirty, but not thirty-five. I disagree. I would pay Steven Strasburg thirty-five. And again, you're not. If you're signing Steven Strasburg, you're not a rebuilding team trying to make something of yourself in the next four to five years. The Kansas City Royals are not going to go after Steven Strasburg. The New York Mets are not going to go after Steven Strasburg. You know who's going to go after Seven Strasburg? Red Sox, Yankees, Dodgers, Nationals, Padres. Astros, Padres. Teams that are close. Teams that need that guy to get them from A to 
from B to A. Right. He, this postseason, has completely put Team Strasburg in an upper echelon of pitching that is very rarely seen. Steven Strasburg dominated both starts of the World Series. And I'm going to say something else right now. Tonight, if they're down or they need a couple outs, he'll be called on. They'll I, pitch didn't him I tonight. say that before, Ev? I, I don't be surprised if Strasburg goes an out or two tonight. If they need a big out, Stephen Strasburg will absolutely be sit up. Corbin, every, all hands are on deck tonight. There is no tomorrow. If Stephen Strasburg gets called on to get a big out and he gets it, you're in mad bum range. And for those of you who know me, I love Madison Bumgarner. If you're in the mad bum postseason range, you've just doubled your annual salary. $35 million to Stephen Strasburg to steal. Yeah, I'd Tyler, say. wouldn't you agree? Because when the rumor first came out about Steven Strasburg opting out of his contract, I mean, he was already making like $25 million a year. Right. I was actually thinking, wait, why would he do that? He's an injury-prone guy. He's getting older. Why would he opt out of $25 million a year? If he, does he honestly think he'd get more than that? Well, now I get it. He banked on he's himself. Gonna, yeah, he's going to he get it now. He's going to get again, it now. Again, he hasn't fully opted out. That's just a huge rumor going around. Yeah. But if you watch him pitch, you can tell he's pitching for a new contract. So, yeah, I would pay him. All right. Evan, what's next? Let's go to the relief pitching market. Sean Doolittle. Oh. Sean Doolittle. 16 million. Kenley Jantz is making 16 million. Sean Doolittle, 16 million. No, I wouldn't go 16 million for Doolittle. I like him, but he's not phenomenal. He kind of actually had a little bit of a down year this year. He had 29 saves. He had an over four ERA. No, I wouldn't go 16 million. I would probably the comfortable. I'd probably be. I'd probably be more comfortable giving him closer to like 11 11 or 12 but that would be all I'd give him I'd give him like a I would give Doolittle a three-year contract worth 42 million bucks or something maybe not even three-year deal for 39 Doolittle's what 32 years old 33 um you're completely right I wouldn't pay him 16 million dollars um if I'm paying a reliever $16 million, he's, his name better be Harold Chapman. Uh, I'm not paying him that much money. And you could argue Kenley Jansen's not even worth $16 million a year. So I'm not paying Sean Doolittle. He's not a closer to me. He's not even a lefty specialist. I don't know what he is. But he's he's dominant at times. Bullpen games absolutely work. He's probably going to be better served going to a rebuilding team himself and just trying to, like the Twins, I can see the Twins giving him 12 to 13, but 16, I would no Im- way. I would imagine Washington brings him back, though. I think he's got a team option for next year. So yeah, I would imagine they bring I, him back. And his contract's yeah. not his contract is not expensive. He's no, on a, Right now not. he's on a six-year, $16.5 million deal. Right, but... He's making nothing. If the Win or lose, I think the Nationals kind of retool this offseason. They see the future going forward. They get, You're going to see a lot of young players next year. They're going to get Rendon back, I think. I don't think so. You don't think so? Nope. Where does he go? I'll tell you later. Philadelphia, right. Philadelphia maybe. I look at him for Philadelphia. Philadelphia uh, doesn't need any players. They got the right man for the job. Joe Girardi's going to make everyone better. Why don't we do him, Evan? You want to do it? I was actually going to continue I don't like relief. doing men. Wow. All right. I was Moving actually, on. I was, actually, I was actually going to stay with the relief market with the role of this Chapman. No, do Chapman first, please. Let's do Chapman. $20 million for average. He's currently making 17 with the Yankees, but reports are he's going to opt out. $20 million for all this Chapman. Steal. Absolutely, yep. You would do it? Yeah, absolutely. He's the best closer in baseball. He, he, it, and I'm not saying that because he's a I'm Yankee not sure fan. I disagree with you, but. When you throw 100 miles an hour consistently 
You're the most feared pitcher. And I don't mean feared and like, oh, Chapman's on the mound. Oh, God. I mean, batters are legitimately afraid to see that man on the mound. He's about, what, 6'10 on the ground? So he's about 7'3, 7'4 on the mound itself. On flat ground, the guys are made. He's a brick house. He goes 105 miles an hour. And his slider is the nastiest pitch in baseball. It's And again, he's you mentioned this earlier. He's the reason the Cubs won a World Series. So he's got the gene in him. And yeah, I get it. Altuve took him 500 feet to go to the World Series. But it's, it's a rare blimp of the radar. He's not Mariano Rivera, but he's the best closer in baseball now. I'd pay him 20. I'd even give him 22. God, 20 million bucks is a lot for a, re- for a reliever. Uh, it would depend on how many years I get him for. If I get him on a, like a three-year contract, I'd do 20 million, yes. I wouldn't do five, though. I'm not paying him $20 million till he's 36. I'd pay him $20 million till he's 34, maybe 35, not 36. All right, Anthony Rendon now. Now we go to Anthony Rendon. Nolan Arenado currently is the highest uh, paid uh, third baseman in terms of average annual salary, $32,500,000. Nolan Arenado, $32 million. Anthony, Anthony Rendon for $32 million. Is he worth it? I think so. <laughs> Listen, I've... I've always been a guy that's been really skeptical about Anthony Rendon, but God, he's so good. He is so good. I mean, the year he had this year was ridiculous. Uh, Seriously, 319, 34 homers, 126 RBIs. He had a 412 on-base percentage. He's an analytically pleasing player. He's good defensively. I mean, yeah, I, I think I would. I think I would give him $32.5 million. As, much, as crazy as it sounds, I think I would. What do you think, Ty? Um, I, I, Anthony Rendon's going to be the highest. He's going to surpass what Arenado got. You're right. So here's what I'm going to say right now. Brian Cashman, you can rectify a lot of stupid things you've made. That's your signing. That's your guy. That's it. You need to bring back one bat, Brett Gardner. That's it. You bring Anthony Rendon here. You give him the money. You refuse to pay Corbin. You're not paying Judge. You're not paying Sanchez long-term yet. Bring Rendon here. You move Glaber to shortstop. You let DD walk, and you put DJ LeMahieu at second base. He's a gold glover. Why you put him at first is beyond me. You let Voigt play first base. Give Rendon what he wants. And honestly... If you bring in two World Series champs, because I think the Nationals win tonight, if you bring those two pieces here, you have to be the favorite, right? You have to be. And you bring back the if whole team? If they bring in Strasburg and Rendon? Yeah, you yeah, have to be. they'd be the overwhelming favorite. All right, what's next? We're going to the future, guys. Oh. Juan Soto. Oh, shoot. World Series edition, I guess. Is he, is he worth it? Bryce Harper got 330 yes. and $25 million average annual salary. Yes. Is Juan Soto worth that money? I won't go Mike Trout do with I Soto. Pay him, do I pay him now? Yes. Long, so we are thinking into the future. When he's a free agent right. in six so, years? But, but my question is, when, what, at what age do I pay him? Like, at he's what tw- age is... He's 21 wh- now? Yeah, so, like, what year would be the first year of his contract? 27. 24, 20, I'll say, you can even pay him at 25 if he's if he's continuing at this pace. All right, so let's say 25 is the age. I would definitely get, I think getting him for $25 million a year would be a steal. Oh. But I wouldn't give him 13 years. I'd give him 10, I wouldn't give him 13. That's a lot of years. I think the, 
I think the Phillies made a mistake giving Bryce Harper that many years. That's a franchise crippling contract. Uh, Juan Soto, I think, $25 million a year for 10 years. He's going to want more than that. So if you get him for that, yeah, I'm in. He just turned 21 five days ago. So I'm in. I would, I'd sign him now. I'd sign him for a uh, guaranteeing you're not going to leave here ever again. His, his World Series performance is historic. It's absolutely amazing. He's such a phenomenal player. Tyler. And the home, oh my god, he's so good. By the way, him carrying the bat to literally spite Alex Bregman was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I'm crazy. I would have thrown my bat at Alex Bregman. How's that sound, Baby Shark? Oh, you know Speedy won't play the song. He won't play the song. No. Why does it give him nightmares or I something? Know, I don't know. I think it's because he does it in the bathtub. I, I don't know. <laughs> All right, Sorry, Evan. Speedy. What's next? Sorry, Speedy. George Springer, he's a free agent at the end of next season. So oh, is it next season? After after next season, he's a free agent. He's going to make a lot of money. $27 million for George Springer. All right, so he's already 30, so when he's 31, that's when he'll be a free agent. And you said how much money you have? 27 Yeah, I think so. I mean, the guy's a 290-40 home run guy. He's, got, he's driving in 96 RBIs a year. Gold Glover. And he hits leadoff. Mm-hmm. He's not in a he's not in a in an RBI spot not, in the nope. order. Nope. And he's driving in ninety six runs a year. Right. Yeah, I'd give him twenty seven. George Springer. This is going to sound crazy because I think most people think he's great. George Springer is one of the most underrated players in baseball. He is absolutely phenomenal defensively. Oh. He's always great in the big spot. George Springer's phenomenal. Except yes, I would give series. him credit. I would give him I would give him he's one of those blank check guys. Fill it out however you want, as long as you come here. Let's go with Oh, Tyler Jim. No, I, I'm I, I agree. I don't know. What did you say? 27? 27. I don't think so. Not you don't th- really not 31 years old. And if your defense goes, I have to find another outfielder for you. I don't know. That's all listen, I get it, Juan Soto's not, you know, overly great on defense, but if you have to find another defensive center fielder, that's going to cost you 10 to 15 there alone, and that's if they can't hit. And you're 31 years old, Not it, maybe five years ago I would have gave you $27 million, not now. That's mm, Somebody's got to take a pay cut, and it's probably going to be him. I don't think he'll be an Astro next year anyway. Alright, who? Uh, let's do two more, of, and then we'll go home. Alright, Marcelo Zuna. He's a free agent at the end. He's a free agent, too, coming up this offseason. Let's go with the same thing. $27 million for Marcelo Zuna, left fielder. I don't think so. He had 241, 29 homers, 89 RBIs. Not a really big uh, on-base percentage guy. No, I wouldn't give him 27. I would maybe give him 20, but I wouldn't give him 27. 28 years old. He's going to be 29 soon. What do you think, Tyler? Nah, I, I'm not paying him. If I'm paying a Marlin $27 million, or an ex-Marlin, rather, the only one sniff that money is Yelch. I'm not paying him $27. I wouldn't even pay him $25. I, I, and to be honest with you, I think he's lucky if he gets 20 Okay. All right, last one. Final make it, one. Make it a good one. Mookie Betts. Oh, shoot. That was a good okay. one. That's Third, a good one. He's a free agent at the end of the season. I mean, I'm sorry, at the end of next season, could be a possible trade, can, could be a possible uh-huh. trade candidate this offseason. Let's go with $30 million for Mookie Betts. Yes. 
Yeah, 30 million. <laughs> Mookie Betts is worth 30. He said He's 40. worth 30. Didn't you say 40? I said 30. Oh. 30. He's, he's going to be over 300, over 30 home runs. He's young, isn't he? He's like 27, 28. 20, he's 20. He just turned 27, 27 three weeks ago. Yeah. You want an unpopular opinion? Go ahead. Go for it. I would pay him Mike Trout money. You'd give him 400 plus million? Well, obviously, it depends on the length, but I'll pay him as much as he wants a year. Yeah. Wow. He, he's a leadoff hitter. He walks a lot. He's not a home run hitter. He's a contact hitter. And he is, if Kevin Kiermaier is the best defensive outfielder, and then there's Trout, he's, it's him. It's literally him. Like, he can play anywhere in the outfield, and he can make any catch. My thing here, and I don't know if they're going to be able to afford him because this is where I think he's going to go. The Dodgers will make him the highest paid player in baseball. Oh, jeez. Don't go to the Dodgers. I don't, well, he's not going to go to See that stuff, see that uh, stuff earlier uh, a couple days ago that the Dodgers looking at getting Francisco Lindor? Yeah, I did. And if that happens, just. I, you can't even say cancel the season because the Dodgers do this every year. They're the best team in baseball on paper, and then they get knocked out in the first, second round. So I, I don't know. To be honest with you, I'm more worried about them going after Strasburg and having the best rotation we've ever seen. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah. All right. That's Izzy Worth It. We play it every Wednesday, get great feedback on it. That's why we keep doing it. That was fun. Izzy Worth It. I don't know. What's your salary here? I'd rather not say on the air. No. Oh, okay. Um, it's in the negatives. Oh, yeah, you're definitely worth it. <laughs> oh, thanks. See? I'm worth negative money. You're making good money over there, aren't you? Hmm? Aren't you making money over there? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, plenty. Oh, see? Well, we, we're going to restructure you then. That's, that's, we're going to restructure oh. you to get him in the negatives too? Yeah, that's too good. much money. Appreciate that's it. too much money. Good. I have to get paid somehow. So, Tyler, you're, uh, you're on almost every night. Right, Tuesday, yeah, uh, Tuesday. What are you on? Tuesday, Tuesday through, fr- through Friday. Tuesday through Friday. Eight to ten. Eight to ten with our buddy Speedy Petey. Yeah, our buddy I, Speedy. Did Speedy, tell you I have him on. I have him on every week on my show. I think you told me that. Did I tell you? I think so. Yeah, I do. I have Speedy. Oh, uh, by the way, that's guy. gonna also need to uh, be compensated for. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So, Speedy. am I gonna need to compensate you for your little visit today? Or yeah, I think so. The okay. ratings have doubled since I've been on. Oh, excellent. Mm-hmm. The five viewers turned into ten, so yes. Oh, good. In the yeah. last 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, boy. Tyler, thanks for coming on, man. Oh, no I missed you. Yeah, he I missed you. This was fun. He, this, he's literally, I'm Kyrie Irving, and he's literally, um, who? Uh, Kenny, Kenny Atkinson. Atkinson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. This was uh, great. <laughs> great. I'm so glad I'm here. Yeah, right. Evan Mazza, my producer. I'm Mike Guido. This is the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll see you. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.